and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. I am so excited for this one. Yeah, this is the thing that I think we we did because we thought it'd be like easy and fun and like cool and breezy, and then you and I got really into playing Pokemon Red and Blue again <laughs> in like a really big way, which is very fun. Yeah, it's kind of funny with the bonuses. Like we become like an ultra fan for a month. Like there are some things that like we're <laughs> yeah. a fan of our whole life, but it's like you know we'll be really into Portal for like April. Yeah, you know, and then we kind of move on. So obviously, for those who listen to the show, know we're both huge Pokemon fans, and we are you know we're two years apart but we're in the same target age range that like grew up with this series from the very beginning yeah which is i think something we'll talk about a lot because pokemon red and blue when it came out was a really i mean we were very young so it's like you know memories are kind of foggy but i i distinctly remember what it was like at school when the phenomena first hit yeah um yeah which i'm sure we'll explore yeah were you ever into the cards were you were you a card collector as well <laughs> oh brendan that sounds like yes <laughs> this is to no one's surprise but i may have been the first person to bring cards to the playground mm. which feels like i was a pied piper of some kind so you were and the reason we weren't allowed to bring them anymore pretty much yeah it all I goes was, back uh, to you I remember, I guess, you know, while we're on topic, like I just remember recess. Like I don't remember anything about being eight years old except for <laughs> recess. Like everyone had them. Everyone had Pokemon cards. Mm-hmm. Everyone probably had the game. Uh, I remember that people had races for cards. Like it was like the the Saturday morning cartoon yes. recess where there yes. was like a, a king of, of recess. And like someone would just pull out a card and be like, OK, Caterpie. And people would run. <laughs> to like whoever got in first would win the card. It was truly wild. Yeah. I don't blame any parent for like seeing that and being like, this is satanic. We've like mad, <laughs> we've mad maxed recess with these cards. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was all over the place. And, and just like that, like a year later, I remember like that being the case. And mm-hmm. like, you know, no matter who you were in school, you were into it. And then the next year was fourth grade, which for us was a new school. It was our middle school was fourth grade to eighth grade, which is like kind of wild yeah. to have it all in one place. Once we went to fourth grade, it, it wasn't cool anymore. You know, like suddenly, like overnight over the summer, if you were to show up with cards, like you would be laughed at or scoffed at, you know? Um, and I kind of had to like stealth enjoy Pokemon silver when that eventually came out. I'm like, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely was into the cards. I do think too, and this is something we'll get into later. Cause a lot of the questions, we have a lot of really great questions and I want to save. Yeah. Thank you so much for turning out by the way, yes. on the questions on this one. I'm very excited to answer some of these. Yeah. But one of them was sort of about this idea. We talk about a lot with older games, especially older RPGs where you're filling in the blanks. Yeah. And I do think there's something to be said about even at the time, I think Pokemon Red and Blue were stretching the hardware thin. Like for the original Game Boy, these games are so ambitious and they're so beyond what the hardware is capable of at that time. Even for, you know, like people always make fun of the sprites, like looking like knockoff versions of the Pokemon from the show and mm-hmm. from the cards. So I think that as as a kid, there was almost this subconscious 
desire to like see that experience we all had with the game fleshed out with the show and with the cards and with the merchandise like totally it was this desire to almost make it real outside of just the game itself yeah i feel like so many games come out and try to be multimedia exercises right like the the one that i always think about i think is um is i think it's quantum break is the name of it which was by the team that made control and alan wake it was like their in-between game that they tried to do that was Mm -hmm. a video game and a tv show and like obviously did not go very well people don't really talk about quantum break seems like they're doing a sequel to control and alan wake and just pretending quantum break is not part of that even (laughs) though it actually like canonically is weirdly um it's it's astounding that in the mid to late 90s the pokemon company and nintendo just like figured it out all in one go no one's ever really been able to do it ever since i feel like a lot of people have tried right like you had you had like Oh, you had i think i feel like yokai watch got pretty close uh, at a certain point in like kind of the mid 2010s i feel like yokai watch had its moment but even that's not really around as much pokemon just started off as this thing where you can kind of tell based on some of the stuff that's like in the game honestly you can kind of tell that they were like goofing around not taking it super seriously but it was a bunch of people who were like very passionate about the thing that they had made right yeah. there, there were a lot of people who were like they felt very strongly that this was going to be like a cool thing and they wanted to work really hard on it a- as you said like it barely functions in some cases you know like <laughs> it's a, it's amazing yeah. the ambition of this game just from like a technical perspective because uh, like i'll be clear i don't know a whole lot about that side of game development I don't really know the actual specifics of the technicality of how this game got put together. But what I do know is that, you know, there's a lot of stuff about like how much data the cartridge could store at any given time or the Game Boy could store at any given time. And it's very easy to like manipulate and overwrite that just by doing things that the game doesn't expect you to do. I'll talk about at one point in this episode how I just I just got a Mew. You can just get a Mew. You don't need a Game Shark. There's no like weird playground strange thing you have to do with like deleting your save file and starting like you can just get a Mew in the game like pretty early on pretty sick if you have a Mew pretty early on in the game and that's all just because like this game is so wildly like pushing at the edges of what the Game Boy was capable of that like there are multiple things that just kind of like fall apart if you touch them which is yeah I think like exhilarating. I think that's kind of fun. It's I that that was the thing actually that kind of made me really excited to go back and continue playing this over and over again was like, you know, for for as much as these games have smoothed out whatever their experience is supposed to be, they got it like remarkably close on the least powerful thing possible. Like if you were to send me right now, I don't know, a JPEG of Pikachu that you just found on Google, that image, that file is bigger than the entirety of the file of Pokemon, like the game, <laughs> like yeah. a, like almost any image you would find compressed or not would probably be bigger than the entirety of this game. It's a it's amazing what they managed to accomplish and fit onto this cartridge. And I feel like people were chasing it like forever, you know, even even Pokemon Gold and Silver, you know, a, a games that you and I really, really love. It's like amazing what that team was able to do with the Game Boy Color. And people were still trying to catch up with Pokemon Red and Blue at that point, you know? Yeah, it's kind of ironic to look back and see like generations one through three of Pokemon are like pushing the boundaries of the hardware and then like immediately when the DS comes out it's like the opposite like yeah. since gen and it's not even like I'm not even trying to glamorize like the games that we grew up with like we have played a lot of them and like generally I enjoy most of them but you can see the turning point like right with Diamond and Pearl yeah where they have decided to sort of just settle on that being the style mm-hmm. which is cool on one hand because like style is always informed by limitation in some capacity so like I don't want like a soft 3D Pokemon on the DS like you know you don't need to do that exactly but mm-hmm. you can definitely see the ambition just like completely hit a plateau yeah you know for yeah. a long time until like maybe arguably maybe our 
Arceus. Um, <laughs> That's, yeah, maybe. You know, like I, I would I would make a case for X and Y, and I would make a case for like you know games here and there. But like other than like the online edition, really, like the games were pretty much the same until now which yeah. is kind of shocking. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that we talked about a lot in our Pokemon Crystal bonus where gold, silver, and crystal were kind of created in this weird vacuum where Pokemon like hadn't even really come out and become a global phenomenon yet. So gold and silver took a lot of really cool, weird chances, right? They like had the production budget to be able to put batteries in all of the cartridges so you could like save what time of day it was, change between day and night. You know, the, there was an actual day and night cycle where Pokemon would come out depending on what time of day and certain things would happen just on specific days depending on what day of the week it was and holidays and things like that which is very cool but aside from that it just really felt like pokemon red and blue but with like more ideas and trying more things and really pushing at the edges of it and then as soon as you move over to the game boy advance it's like it's been years they've worked really hard on making pokemon a much bigger thing outside of video games i think the last i checked or the last number I saw, which may or may not be true, but I'm going to say it because it feels pretty true, is that the game's side of Pokemon as an intellectual property accounts for maybe like 20 to 25% of the total income, and almost all of the rest of that is merchandising. Like, yeah. almost everything else sense. is merch. And I think as soon as you start to swing into that being the norm for this company and for this intellectual property, which we've said many, many, many times on the show, is the highest grossing intellectual property of all time. Like, it beats out, like, Marvel, Disney, Star Wars, and like anything else you can throw at it, which is pretty remarkable. That having been said, as soon as you get to that place where it's like trending up in that direction and it shows no sign of slowing down and a lot of people think it's going to be a fad and it very much is not a fad at all. It just continues to grow. It's I mean, like it's still it's worth stressing. And, you know, I, I know this kind of secondhand because I'm not a parent, but I have like volunteered for a lot of like Christmas charities and stuff. And every like letter that's written by a kid like asking you know, gifts from Santa. They all want Pokemon cards. Yeah. They all still really like Pokemon. And those, I, I worked those in recent years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's still very much, and even like having younger cousins and stuff, like it's still very much like a popular thing. Totally. Yeah. So just because of that, I think like as soon as you hit the early 2000s and you get into the the space where uh, Ruby and Sapphire and Emerald are coming out, that's the beginning of Pokemon starting to play it safe because they don't want to mess with the hit that they have. And, you know, every single generation since that has introduced like some kind of big, interesting idea, you know, whether it be like Z moves or Gigantamax or what have you, like whatever you just just pick out of a hat, a bunch of adverbs and <laughs> shove them together and, and you'll have whatever mechanic that is. But that having been said, it, it it has created this space, I think, where there is a contingent of the Pokemon fan base. Obviously, there's a side of it that's very toxic and shitty, and we've talked about that before. But I think there's a larger contingent of people who are like, I, I would like for them to try something new and get more ambitious. And I think going back and playing these games and having also done the Pokemon Crystal bonus and playing that very intensely and doing the Game Boy Advance bonus and playing Emerald, which was my number one game on the Game Boy Advance. And all of the I mean, I've played all of the Pokemon games on the Nintendo DS at this point in preparation for the DS. I feel stronger than ever before that there was a version of Game Freak and a version of the development team behind Pokemon that was like really, really, really excited to make something that nobody had ever seen before and like really like just just kind of break the boundaries of a bunch of different genres and a bunch of different ideas and make something like totally fresh and cool and new and interesting. And they did such a good job. The Pokemon is what it is now, but it definitely has been playing it safe ever since. I feel like this game 
getting so much right so early on is like it's like remarkable. It's remarkable to go back it and is. play this game because it it works so well still. I, I feel like you and I go back and we play a bunch of retro games all the time for the show. Like we'll just kind of dip in and out of things. I'm obviously like completely enamored by this whole contingent of companies making like retro handhelds. So I'm playing a lot of retro stuff all the time, like on the go. I always have one in my pocket, usually when I'm like going out and doing things and playing whatever. Right now it's Final Fantasy VI, which I'm very excited oh. to talk about with you on the show at some point. Yeah. Um, but that having been said, we're playing a lot of retro stuff and it's it's like shocking how good Pokemon Red and Blue still feel. It's like um, it's amazing how they have changed so little actually <laughs> in in the increments from game to game. Uh that that Red and Blue just feel almost like kind of modern games. I know you and I have gone back and played a little bit of the remakes of these games as well, which we'll get into later. But uh, if you if you haven't played Red and Blue and you've always been like kind of on the fence about checking them out because like, oh, they're older. They came out in the 90s. Like, just play them. If you played and enjoyed any other Pokemon game literally ever, you will also enjoy these ones probably. Yeah, it's also cool just to see. I mean, and that was sort of the incentive behind this bonus is to see like where it all began. And I think the series beginning as a risk is very important to note. That's yeah. kind of like, I think the thesis of this episode for me is like, this wasn't a sure thing. I read a little bit about like the initial pitch of it and like everyone was skeptical except for <laughs> Miyamoto. And like, I, I forgot that the link cable existed prior to Pokemon. I can't even remember what other game used it. Because it yeah. feels so synonymous with like, I see that commercial with like the Pokemon going through yes. the cable. I think, yes. I think it, what is it? Uh, Drake or Josh is the kid, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Drake. Yeah, you're it's right. Drake. Yeah. And he's like, awesome my favorite pokemon commercial if you're if you're going down that youtube rabbit hole is uh the creepy bus driver who picks yeah. up all the pokemon <laughs> and then condenses them into a cartridge it's so scary anyway that that's a whole other episode we could we could <laughs> do extended media on this hey little buddy want to ride yeah whatever but yeah, i was i was excited to revisit this because i i had mentioned on the show before that like pokemon red i replayed pretty annually for a long time yeah me too um, like even after silver came out i just like i knew the game so well and this is also pretty common when you're like a younger adult like you just have a game that like you know like the back of your hand and there's comfort in just like almost mindlessly replaying it totally um the same way people will often like put on a show they know just sort of like background noise like you're mm-hmm. kind of half watching it like pokemon red and ocarina of time were, were games that i replayed pretty religiously well into like even college. I mean, you know, at, th- at that point, Pokemon White and Black had come out and like I got them and I enjoyed them. But I also still found a place to play Red. And I think it was it's interesting kind of exploring why that is. And going back to it, I think about sort of the conflicting moral of Pokemon as a series. I think a lot about the very, very beginning of Pokemon, the first movie, where uh, Ash is just <laughs> destroying a kid's team. Like yeah. a kid is like a bright eyed youth challenges Ash to a friendly Pokemon duel. And Pikachu just like shocks his team into submission. <laughs> and the music is like, yeah, it's cool to grow up, you know, or whatever. And like this kid's yeah. hopes and dreams are just being destroyed, like in passing. And like, it's not even address that's just sort of like to get you pumped up for the movie right but then the whole premise is like oh like you shouldn't treat pokemon like weapons they're your friends and and the good trainers treat them like friends and it's like i didn't get that from ash's wanton slaughter in act <laughs> one of this movie i also didn't get that from the game because right professor oak himself is like you gotta go f- get in fights if you want to grow up kid mm-hmm. so there's always that conflicting moral that being said i do think that the first two games 
get closest to designing gameplay around this idea of like love triumphing. I think second gen gets it the most right because you have sort of this living world that kind of goes on with or without you. Yeah. And a lot of the gameplay is designed, you know, the the initial pitch was collection. I think battles have become the focus in later games, but like I mean the the, the catchphrase has got to catch them all. So it was the the idea behind the game was more about like kind of befriending these creatures and like seeing all the different kinds of monsters there were yeah. versus like becoming the most powerful. And you can kind of feel that in red and blue with the way the battles are like, you could tell there wasn't as much thought in like balancing it, you know, like psychic <laughs> is way overpowered bug is just sort of designed to be shitty. I mean, even the next game kind of did a lot to like level that it's okay. We're going to have like special attack and special defense. We're going to have steel and dark type to make it like a little bit better. And you know, and yeah, there are a couple moves in this game in particular that are just like wildly overpowered in ways yeah. that are like like if you if you get a Nidoran right at the beginning of the game and it learns uh, what what is it horn attack or horn sting yeah. or horn horn it's a horn something I don't know whatever that attack is unbelievable unbelievably good or rap rap is like totally broken rap it, is up there as well yeah they can't react to it and they changed that too in the second game yeah i also learned in this game that the confusion status effect when you get it it's a 50 percent chance which actually explains <laughs> a lot explains a lot of what my youth was like playing this game over and over again because i feel like if you get confusion there's like it feels like there's a hundred percent chance that your, yeah. that your pokemon is going to hit itself directly in the face and it turns out it's 50 which is still wildly high for a status it is it is so i think was getting to before about like sort of the games being designed around like taking care of pokemon being the mission above being powerful silver gold get that right or second gen overall gets that right with there's the design of the game and the setting and and the the day and night and the focus on exploration red and blue gets right just by the fact that everyone wants to kick your ass so badly (laughs) like you are you are immediately positioned to be an underdog so the only way you can advance in the game is by really really investing in your team and Mm -hmm. understanding the types and the combat and like paying attention to what your pokemon is good at like obviously there's a lot of like loopholes around that you can break the game pretty easily but if you're just like picking it up that's going to be your mindset i mean i think and i might be reading a little bit too much into this but i do think there's something to be said about the very first battle professor Oak gives you and your rival in my case monsanto uh (laughs) he gives you both your pokemon and your rival chooses the pokemon that's good against you which has become kind of a tradition so if you choose bulbasaur which i did real shitty move yeah very shitty move tells you everything you need to know about monsanto And you get your Pokemon and you're just leaving and, and your rival challenges you to battle. It's your first battle. Like if unless you look at with them just arbitrarily choosing Growl, you're probably going to lose unless you found the potion in your room. So for me, it kind of had this like eureka moment of like the only way I can beat my rival for the first time is if I heal my Pokemon. Like I can only win by actually taking care of my Pokemon in this fight. I love that you've had that experience. I have never once had that experience <laughs> in my whole life. I always just attack five times in a row and win every time i think it might be a bulbasaur thing it might be a bulbasaur thing specifically yeah Yeah. a a lot of this strategy because tackle is not quite as good as scratch uh i think it's the same attack but scratch just crits all the time for some reason yeah and i think charmander also just has better attack from go interesting so i think if you choose bulbasaur like you kind of have to play a defensive game Mm. and even after that like with leech seed and stuff like that's like your only really good move yeah on top of the first rival fight i think more directly brock being the first gym leader i think is a great decision because unless you have squirtle which you can just bubble your way through 
Chances yeah, are baby. it's going to be a very, very hard fight, even if you have Bulbasaur, because at that point, like you've started your journey kind of like out of your own will. Like Professor Oak just sort of asks you to do this. And I think the beginning of this game designed to be so kind of against you in, in yeah. an overwhelming way, it creates this feeling of, of what it feels like when you pick up a new hobby and you see how good everyone else is at it. And you're like, I'm a chump. There is like, I can't even beat a child with a few bugs. There's no way I can do this. And I think what this game does really well is like that feeling of becoming more powerful and getting a better team really is unmatched after this game. I think like beating Brock, getting your feet on the ground a little bit better, always, as soon as you feel comfortable, always being given like what the next level is going to be. I think a really iconic moment in this game is Nugget Bridge where your rival shows up again and you have that like rematch where chances are his team is going to be wildly better like he has like the next evolution that starting Pidgeotto is like so scary to me yeah totally 18 and like I love that this game kind of positions you to be an underdog and it does like going back to filling in the blanks it does create this idea that like you are really training your team to overcome all odds Mm -hmm. Um, so that that's something that I felt more this time than I never really felt before and a little it's a little bit is just me projecting on to it like this is not stuff that's explicitly said but i do think that there's a little bit of design behind it as well i was i was about to say i i do feel like this game is very intentionally designed i i mean yeah. you and i have hypothesized and maybe it's real maybe it's not that the battling side of this game was actually a little bit more of an afterthought than everything else about it like it it seems like it was built from the ground up to just be like kind of a very entry-level classic like dragon quest final fantasy rpg for kids that you could take with you on the go which like cool idea by itself but of course they need to have battling in it so they went through battles in it but there are a couple moments actually early on that i thought to myself like wow this is actually really brilliant there's one in particular i was thinking about when you first get your pokemon you battle your rival and you leave pallet town and you make your way out into route one the first person that you can go talk to this is before you've even learned that like if you lock eyes with somebody you're going to battle them like that's it's before that's even happened literally the first person on route one that you talk to is a person who's like hey i work at the mart up in viridian city like really close to here here's a potion go check it out very cool immediately that teaches the player this idea that like oh i should talk to every single person that i meet out in the wilderness because i might get a reward or they might tell me where to go next and i feel like getting both of those is such a streamlined way of doing a thing that a lot of rpgs try and teach you via like two to three to four to five people early on in a game but here's just this guy hanging out and they'll just give you a potion i totally agree it's also kind of fun to see how much like old school rpg dna there is in pokemon red and blue there's a lot of like like you said talking to all the npcs it's very like final fantasy one where someone's like i hear things are weird west of here yeah you know and then you go there but like it's definitely designed to be more beginner friendly and i think this is honestly still even though it's like a little bit archaic in some ways this is still a great first rpg yeah, you know, and I think Pokemon has kind of remained that for a lot of people. There, are, there are a couple moments here and there where it falls prey to tropes that really rub me the wrong way. But for the most part, like one of the things I love about this game that it just I, I'm so deep in like a hundred different Dragon Quest games simultaneously. One, <laughs> one of the things that this game I think does better than any of those games is anytime you're walking around in the world.
world and there's an item on the ground that you can go pick up. It's not like that item is going to be the make or break moment for you that it is sometimes in a Final Fantasy or a Dragon Quest where it's like, sorry, that's the only time you could have gotten that armor throughout the rest of the game. And if you didn't get it, (laughs) the next five to six hours are going to be really difficult for you until you find the next piece of armor that we've arbitrarily lied behind this box down 14 different passageways that you may or may not stumble upon. In this case, it's just like, cool, you got another Ultra Ball. Nice. Okay. well, you can just go buy that. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Um, Oh, sick. X defense. I'll totally use that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like items, items are helpful, but they're not necessary in the way that I think they sometimes can be in in other RPGs. But there are moments like I I will never forgive this fucking game for this one moment. (laughs) I think I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if it was in Rocket's Hideout or if it's in the Sylph Company. Oh, my God. Either one. Both those places suck. (laughs) Both of them are not very good, to be clear. But there's a moment in one of them where you need to get a key card to go from point A to point B in a place. And then that's the self hideout. Yeah. The, yes, the, it is Nissle Flat. You're right, actually, now I'm thinking about it. The only way you can get it is by beating one of the Team Rocket members and then talking to them again after you're done kicking their ass, which is, I think... I think the only time that the only time in (laughs) the entire game that talking to them afterwards will give you an item. That's not good. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) That's not fun. It is kind of remarkable how cool this game is with you getting horribly lost. Like even just going yeah. to Mount Moon again. Like I know the critical path on like like the back of my hand at yeah, this me point. Too. So I just went down that. But like, do you also remember secret items that are lying on the ground? Yes, the rare candy and uh, behind Cerulean that person's City. house in Cerulean. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I was thinking the exact yeah. same thing. And again, like that, that's fine because that's like you know it's it's extraneous, right? Rare yes. candies are like a treat. But Mount Moon is like huge, yeah. and if it's your first time playing, it's gonna be a nightmare because <laughs> like there are so many paths that just lead to like items or nowhere else and the encounter rate is so high there's a reason i think so many npcs are really pushing repel on you because like <laughs> why do they keep trying to like upsell repel like i want to catch pokemon but yeah. like you need repel in mount moon because otherwise it's like zubat like pop-up city yeah you know repel and max repel both i also learned don't actually block 100 of pokemon it just lowers the encounter rate by like a certain percentage depending on which one you're using but like if you use a max repel and go to victory road for example you're still gonna run into stuff it's like, also it, it's based on who is leading your party. Whoa. So there's actually there's some in later games you can kind of use repel to make the chances of certain Pokemon appear like it's it's actually helpful if you want to catch some rarer Pokemon. That's fascinating. If you know what level they appear at, you yeah, can okay. kind of influence it with who who's leading your party. Wow. That's I did cool. that if I, when I wanted to catch Feebas only appears in like one specific square it's a that's that's like my gripe with diamond and pearl is like there's stuff like that where it's like oh yeah this one tile has a 10 percent chance of spawning a fee bass who just looks like a magikarp but will eventually become melodic who's wonderful um but everything else is badoof like <laughs> like if you're if you're just playing the game normally it's badoof city and then if you have data mined the game you know the one water panel where fee bass Meanwhile, in Pokemon Red and Blue, you can go fishing inside of any gym that you want. (laughs) 
because the statues that say if you beat the gym or not are also counted as water tiles. Yeah, it's like my, you know, the famous glitch is Masigno, which some people ask questions about. Um, mm. But even if you don't do like the, the, the famous thing is like if you talk to the old man who teaches you how to catch Pokemon and then fly to Cinnabar Island. Yeah. Masigno will appear on the coast. But even without doing that, the coast of Cinnabar is just like messed up. Like you'll yeah. just run into like level 400 Snorlaxes and like it's just a weird <laughs> beach. Don't go near it. Yeah. It's the beach that makes you old. Definitely. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia here, but I do think that going back to the ambition of the game, I think some of the broken edges are kind of the selling point at this point in time. Yeah. You know, because I, like, so I think that like they pretty immediately fix things like and again, this is a testament to why I really love second gen is like, even though they didn't really change the game a whole lot, the, the quality and like refinement of it is huge. Yeah. You know, they really like kind of fixed all the broken edges and like, I mean, silver and gold added so much. They It added one thing that I really miss. And it's like the my biggest gripe with, with playing gen one is not seeing the experience bar. I mm. love the experience bar. Yes. And also being able to get experience for catching Pokemon. I miss that as well. Yeah, that's um, really good. I think the big thing that's worth keeping in mind, just, you know, for all the things that we're saying, positive or negative, if you were playing this game in 1997, 1998, 1999 in that vicinity on your Game Boy, and it was like the game that you got for your birthday or something. You did not know that it was broken. You did not know that psychic types were too powerful. Usually you were just like playing the game and it was fun yeah. and enjoyable. It's it's really like in the years since and especially in comparison with the later games that you start to piece together all the ways in which the first generation is like completely wild. But that having been said, this time going through the game, with the exception of me figuring out, not figuring out, but like looking up how to just get a Mew early on because I thought it'd be funny this time. I just played this game as if I was playing it for the first time again. Like I just picked like I didn't even name myself. I just like picked from the list. So I was blue and my rival was red because that's nice. those were the options. I didn't name any of my Pokemon because that's what I also did in the 90s because I didn't I wasn't very creative as a as a young kid and like didn't think <laughs> that I could like come up with interesting or good names and uh, just kind of made my way through the game as if like I didn't know that it was broken at all and had a great time. Like I, I just yeah. I, I, as if you put all that aside, if you're not constantly thinking about like, man, isn't this game broken? Isn't this fucked up? Like you're gonna have a really good time playing what is still kind of just the blueprint for how to make a really good JRPG that doesn't need to be based in sci-fi or fantasy specifically. Yeah, if you play it just as is, like it's it's a remarkably solid RPG still, especially when you compare it to other stuff on the Game Boy. You know, yeah. we talk we've talked a lot about handhelds at this point, and like I think looking at what was kind of coming out for the original Game Boy. Like even the jump to Game Boy Color is pretty big because on the Game Boy Color, you get stuff like Pokemon Crystal, yeah. uh, the Oracle games. Like that is starting to pave the way for the huge jump that the Game Boy Advance would be. But like the original Game Boy games were, were sort of like... I feel like it was sort of Nintendo's version of the straight to DVD Disney sequels where like you would get Super Mario Land, which was right. like, it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm accepting the trade off that this is portable. Yes. Um, but yes. it's less fun, you know? And I think that that was like kind of a given for handheld games. I think Pokemon did a lot to really change that. Because I think Pokemon was the first big Nintendo series to be a handheld exclusive. Yeah. You know, that being the case for so long also planted a seed of like, what if Pokemon came to the console? You know, what would that look like? Yeah. 
right, what would happen if you reverse this? Which I think actually now in retrospect, like that's the folly of that line of thinking entirely, right? Because it, exactly, I'm yeah. just I'm thinking about like what are the hits from the Game Boy, and and I, you're totally right in pointing out like Super Mario Land is a great example of that. I, I'm thinking like Link's Awakening, for example, is like the Zelda they just didn't give a shit about in terms of like. <laughs> Just making it make any sense at all. It's yeah, like, cool, it's a yeah, great gonna... game, but yeah, it's it's totally a mashup of stuff. Yeah, a- yeah, absolutely love it. But like, there's clearly not a whole lot of oversight happening there from like the Nintendo brand team when they're like, yeah, there's going to be Chain Chomps and Toad and a guy whose name is almost Mario in it. You know, right? Um, yeah, Metroid Two, Samus Returns. You know, it's like it's cool you put Metroid on the Game Boy. That's like amazing. You know, uh, but it wasn't until I feel like the remakes of that game where it really started to like shine that like, oh, there's actually something really cool this game but they had to cut back a lot to make it work pokemon is built from the ground up to be on the game boy and weirdly enough now that i'm thinking about it is like it would have to become a completely different game to really work on consoles i think i think i think the core of what that game is is still very good but i think it would need to change a lot and i think that's why arceus was so exciting to me specifically was like here here they are taking a really really huge swing and still keeping the core of what i like about this thing which is going out and collecting things and catching them but now i get to see them in their element it doesn't have to be me going around from gym to gym because i've done that a hundred times since 1997 like i don't need to do it again i i think i think it worked really well yeah yeah i totally agree and i think that um you know it was it was pitched to be a game boy game you know the, the intention of this game was to really be this like i always use the term uh intimate with handheld games where it's like it's a very personal experience yeah like it, it sounds simple but it's the act of holding it close and i think that also was kind of why people have such a strong attachment to this series like it feels like it's your game mm-hmm. you know like especially if you grew up like i mean there are so many like no matter how old you are, you grew up with one of these. So, you know, Diamond and Pearl might have been your Pokemon Red. And like, yeah, that's also like not a terrible line of thinking from their end where it's like, OK, well, like we can just do this. Like every generation will have this moment. Yeah, I wanted to get into but at a certain too. point. Yeah, I think like kids now, too, when, when you have a generation that are growing up with stuff like Minecraft or whatever, this will lose its magic because it's not it is inherently like limiting you know whereas like again like our frame of reference for what a game could do in 97 on the game boy especially this was groundbreaking you know and even Mm -hmm. just like as a we could have a whole other episode just about like the the multimedia side of things with the show and with the cards and like on one hand it's kind of a capitalist nightmare where it's like you have to get everything (laughs) but another it was like i genuinely just loved it i I remember you know being so i i woke up at like 6 30 as a kid to watch the show before school yeah you know like that was that was not like again there were other shows trying to get you in in that way but like none of them worked except for pokemon were we being manipulated absolutely Absolutely. Did I love every second of it? Also, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there are more heinous things to be manipulated by. You know, I think like, yeah, it brought me joy. Yeah. By the cards, by the show, by the game, by, yeah. the, by the merch. Also, just like truly, I'm just thinking back to the first time I played through this game, which I weirdly remember pretty viscerally. I would always bring my Game Boy outside into my front yard and I would just like yeah. sit under a tree in my front yard and play it. This is tied to summer for me. It's a yeah, very me summer too. game. Yeah. I would like walk down the street because I, I lived on a cul-de-sac and there were a lot of people my age who lived on the cul-de-sac and I would walk down the street and like hang out with other kids who are also playing Pokemon and we'd like just sit under like in a bush <laughs> and play Pokemon together. And it was like 
was a lovely time. It was a lovely experience, and it felt very communal because of the red and blue aspect of it. And and, and I feel like that's something that you know at this point the Pokemon Company gets a lot of shit for. But really, like as cynical as a take can be about the splitting of these games into two versions every single time and splitting what Pokemon are available in each, et cetera, et cetera. It did like force me to hang out with and befriend the other kids who live near me. Like that yeah. was, that was a huge part of me making some friends pretty early on in my like school career was because I really wanted a fucking, uh, vile plume, you know, like I just, I thought Oddish was like the coolest and I really wanted one. And I couldn't get one because I had blue version. Uh, that's brutal. That is that is a huge loss. We were, we were trying to decide which version is the one to get. They're pretty even. There 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 are stars in both versions, but Oddish is a huge win for red version. I have to say, Porygon is affordable at the game center on blue, <laughs> and not affordable at the game center in red. Uh, but we also get Scyther, which you is get cool, Scyther. instead of Pinsir. And I would, I would argue Scyther is the cooler one. I would also argue Scyther is better. We, but you get Sandshrew and Meowth, which is a huge boon for Blue. Yeah, this is a, a question that we're asked very, very frequently. Uh, related to or unrelated to Pokemon episodes is like, what Pokemon would you want to have in real life? And my answer has always been the same, which is is Persian. I love Persian as, as a Pokemon. I just think it'd be so cool to have like a big cat. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not about to like become the Tiger King, obviously, in real life. So <laughs> it is very much aspirational for me to just have like a very big, cool cat. My flip of that is I've always wanted Growlithe, which is also a red version exclusive. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, Growlithe yeah. is great. Just a dog. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bulbasaur. Bulbasaur has also always been up there for me, which I think yeah. I've shared before. Do you have a favorite um, Pokemon from this generation? From Red and Blue? It's probably Bulbasaur. I really love Bulbasaur. Mm. Um, my first was Charmander. I, I like all three starters. I think this, this generation is great starters. They're iconic, you know, and I think that they all have good evolution lines. Yeah. That's the big thing. That's the big gamble with new generations. <laughs> it's like, which one of these is going to turn into French Stewart by the end of this? You know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm signing on for one thing. No shade on French, but it's like, who's going to become a human is really what I'm trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. You know, who's going to become the villain from Home Alone? <laughs> <laughs> But in this case, it's like, okay, you can kind of see like, okay, we're getting a turtle. It's probably going to get bigger in some way. The cannons <laughs> are a nice surprise. Yes. You're getting a bulb. It's probably going to bloom. We're getting a little lizard. Maybe it's going to be a dragon or like a snake or something. Yeah. It's, it's already on fire. It's, it's not a huge leap to think that it's going to be a fire breathing dragon. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. also it's on the front of the box. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Bulbasaur uh, is the only surprise uh, unless you live in Japan and you got green version. That's right. But again, it's like, you know, it's it's going to bloom. It's yeah. pretty, you know, the, the cards said it all. The seeds um, are literally sown. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I'm like I'm debating if I want to speak more to the game or if we should move to questions. What are you feeling right now? I don't know. I just have like a list of things that yeah, I, I, I mean, would love to talk about. Please go. Just want I. So I just like kind of took some notes here and there as I was playing through the game. Just things that really stuck out to me that I just wanted to bring up in the episode because I thought it'd be fun. Very early on in the game. I so already talked about the person who uh, shows up on the way from Route 1 to Viridian City. I didn't realize this, but you can immediately go towards Victory Road, like yeah. right at the top. And there's an optional rival fight that happens like right at the top of the game. Like It's, it's pretty tough, too. Yeah, it is pretty tough. I got my ass handed to me because I didn't know that I was there, uh, which is pretty wild. The, the big thing for me, though, honestly, is going to Cerulean City, going through the Nugget Bridge situation. I caught my Mew, which I can talk about later. Nice. Caught my Mew, etc. 
went to Bill, right? Because the whole thing is that Bill lives up there and that's where Bill's PC is. So like you've been using someone's PC and then they reveal, oh my God, you'll never believe it, but it was Bill the whole time. Isn't that exciting? Because we all know who Bill is. Yeah. When you walk into the room, Bill has turned himself into a Pokemon and needs you to turn him back into a Pokemon. Or back into a human. Oh yeah, sorry, back into a human. And I... I that had never really stuck with me. Like I had never really considered that <laughs> Bill had created the ability to turn humans into Pokemon and vice versa. And I I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about like, did they just start using that? Did Bill go to jail? I feel like you could send Bill to jail for that. That seems like the kind of thing where you would say, actually, this is a dangerous piece of science and we should not allow anyone else access to it and you should forget you ever discovered it. Yeah, in retrospect, it's like it's sort of like they're trying to play that moment in Full Metal Alchemist for laughs. It's like, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's just sort of like, hi, oops, I'm a Pokemon, you know, Mondays, am I right? I invent things like the internet and also the ability to turn people into Pokemon. Yeah, just, it's really, it's really strange. I do love it in Let's Go, where it's like just a Nidoran standing on its hind legs. Like, yes. hello, I'm a Pokemon. Yeah, that 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 whole sequence is very bizarre. Then he gives you the ticket to the SSN. To the SSN. The cruise yeah. ship, yeah. Which, my, my thought always was that that was the Titanic and it sunk like that was always my thought when i was a kid oh was like oh this is this is like the pokemon version of the titanic and then it never comes back after you get off of it and yeah my, my thought was always that it like hit an iceberg and went into the water <laughs> so and, morbid yeah it wasn't until like years later that i went and replayed the game i was like why do i think that everyone died like <laughs> why why like why did seven-year-old brendan just assume that everyone just got killed on that boat that is that is one thing i'll say though with the ssn and like nugget bridge i, I feel like and maybe this is just because these are the games i grew up with but I can't help but feel like gens one through three have way more iconic locations and moments than like the games that came after. Yeah. Like I think that the settings have been fun, like X and Y, black and white, sun and moon, especially like Mm -hmm. I love sort of the identity of those places. Like, the you know france inspired new york inspired hawaii inspired like yeah that was a lot of fun but like the actual like gameplay of like how do i navigate through this place like even the moments that stink in red and blue were like <laughs> you've got to go on those puzzles in the in the rocket hideout like yeah every every town has a strong sense of identity that you kind of have to navigate around like cerulean city you know you're kind of stuck in and you've got to go down nugget bridge and then you have to talk to bill and then you yeah. go through the house that was broken into once you buy soda pop for the security guards, you can kind of go anywhere. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that's really brilliant about the game. And this is something that they did really well in Silver and Gold is like, once the game like trusts you that you like, okay, like you, you've beaten a couple gyms, you know how to play the game. Now we're going to kind of let you explore a little bit more. Yeah. I, I think Silver and Gold felt especially open and Crystal felt like especially loose. And like, there's not even really a plot in that game. Like you're just sort of living in the world, which is I think why you and I like it so much. Right. But here, like I think the slow ramp up of power and like the respect you're getting as a trainer i think kind of blossoms with the world unlocking itself to you yeah i i remember like in white and black while i loved the new york and new jersey inspired setting uh it's just a circle you know you're just going in a circle and they kind of like well i i like that like they undid the tedium of needing hms and that whole thing the response shouldn't be just to do nothing you know it kind of feels like in Mass Effect where everyone made fun of the Mako car and then they did planet scanning and people made fun of that. And then in three, they just give you nothing. It's like yeah. the response <laughs> isn't just to give up. You just try something else, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I just I just had that thought while I was playing Red and Blue. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I 
really go back to silver, gold, and crystal on really nailing, as you've said many times already. But I, I feel like red and blue really want these to be games that are about exploration and like living in a world and experiencing everything the Pokemon world has to offer. That really is driven home by the fact that what is it, gyms three through seven? I think you can do kind of out of order technically. Um, you know, there there are certain gates like you need to get the ability to use Surf before you can go to Cinnabar Island, obviously, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, you can kind of just like travel whichever way you want most people will follow the same strat like will follow the same formula like there is like the gym badges technically are numbered and you will probably do them in order if you've never played these games before and you don't know how you can sequence break but as much as that allows for this like greater sense of exploration and feels like an open world and is very cool i feel like there's another half of this game that actually punishes you for exploring which really bums me out which is a yeah. thing that really really struck me on this playthrough specifically was the encounter rate is just wildly high. And even if you're using repels and things like there are some places where you can't step like three or four times without running into another Pokemon, which is it actually does become draining. And it, and it, it reminds does. me so much of why, because I, I guess to take a step back, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot going into this episode and recording this episode is like, why, why was I not a JRPG person? Like, why did I bounce off of this as a genre if I loved Pokemon so much? And this playthrough reminded me that I just ran from like every like I hated battling at a certain point. Like you get far enough into the game and it's like you're giving me a story now. Like I've gotten a couple badges in and like now you're showing me that there's like a world ending plot, not a world ending plot, but there's like a team of people that want to take over the world. They're like patently very evil and keep like telling you how evil they are. And I'm the only one yeah. that can stop them. And like. <laughs> Let me do that. I don't need to fight the 58th Voltorb on the way. You know, like that doesn't that doesn't need to happen because I'm powerful enough that I'm just like killing them all immediately. You know, yeah. all it is is just like pressing the pause button on a movie that it has like a cool scene happening. You know, I, I feel like that's that's like the biggest takeaway for me from this game in particular, just in terms of stuff that like didn't really hold up for me. I feel like the later games really got that balance of how many random encounters you're going to run into much, much, much better than this game did. Because there's a reason like it's a meme, you know, like there's a reason like Zubats, for example, are like the goof of this game is because yeah. you just run into hundreds of them. Your trip through Mount Moon is like you're just inundated by Zubats. It's like, cool, you'll catch the first one and like feel an affinity for it. And then the next 99 you find will make you hate the first one you caught and you'll probably never use it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, I think that creating the Pokemon games that allow the random encounters and catching to be an, an elected experience versus just like happening by default over and over again. Yes, you're right. They definitely found the balance later. That's also so, something that just sort of plagues a lot of RPGs at this time. Like totally. I know you're, you're playing Final Fantasy VI. That is like the one thing that I think holds that game back from being like truly timeless is how often the encounters are. Like it's yeah. really bad. You you can it's get an wild. end game item called the Moogle Charm, I believe, that reduces it. But by that point, you're almost done. So it yeah. doesn't even really matter. Yeah, this this game in particular is interesting because the encounter rates are tied to the location specifically. So like in Final Fantasy VI, I don't I don't know the case with with that game in particular, but it does feel like it's like game wide. Like this is what yeah. the encounter rate is for random battles in that game. And in Pokemon Red and Blue, they at least had the foresight to know that certain areas should have more Pokemon that you run into than others. Like Victory Road is supposed to be like a daunting, huge just very difficult to make it through experience that ends with you fighting your rival who is like way overpowered against where you're at probably at that point in the game it's supposed to be a slog and that makes sense that makes sense to me and i want to talk more about like victory road and kind of how this game ends a little bit later i think but some of the earlier sections like mount moon like it doesn't need to be like that man like i <laughs> i'm just a kid please let let me have fun 
Yeah, Mount Moon is like maybe one of the most draining places in a game. It feels like Elden Ring in that moment where you're just like, oh, like you're just like gasping for breath yeah. as you get out. And then someone's like, I came here to find bugs. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. I was, it was my birthday recently and I was on the subway for like an hour going to where I was uh, meeting up with some friends for dinner. And whenever I go on the subway now, I just like have a retro emulator in my pocket. And that's how I've been playing uh, Pokemon this time around. And that was my experience with Mount Moon again uh, with with uh, Pokemon Leaf Green in this case was going back and like doing Mount Moon like the whole hour long subway ride was just like infuriating. I wiped out because at that point you don't really have a lot of money either and like you really need to prepare like I do kind of like this idea that they really want you to like invest in the journeys like get potions get repels get antidotes but Mount Moon is is such a big ask so early on yeah that like it's gonna take you like a few tries to get through because there's that like Team Rocket gauntlet at the end where you get the yeah. fossil. You fight the super nerd for the fossil. I had never really run into this before. And I had heard about this in the past, but this was never really a thing that I dealt with as a kid, but definitely was on this playthrough that I didn't really realize. But money is like very limited in this game. I didn't. Yeah. It never really occurred to me how limited money is because you can only get it from trainer battles. and You can only fight those trainers once. Yeah. I think they also rectify that in the next gen because you can call people back for rematches. So at the yes. very least, also, your mom is like a, a ace banker and will just send <laughs> you money through the whole game. Yeah. I love the second gen mom. She's the best. Her and the uh, the mom and X and Y who's a professional Rhyhorn rider best yeah. moms in Pokemon Incredible. for sure but yeah I, I I did catch a Clefairy in Mount Moon so that was cool because usually Clefairy it. is like super hard to find that's worth the trip worth the trip it is kind of funny how in Red and Blue some of the rarest Pokemon aren't especially good they're just like cool or like fun designs mm-hmm. so it's like these are like the novelty Pokemon that are like you can just and that kind of goes back to this idea of like it being a collecting game more than a battling game like Pikachu for example is super rare in Viridian Forest and like it's fine. Like Raichu's look pretty good. It's yeah. not Magneton, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's cool how like some of the rarest Pokemon are just sort of like a novelty and not like gonna, you know, push through the whole game or yeah. whatever. I always make Pikachu a priority in Breeding Forest specifically for Misty. Oh yeah. I mean Misty's if you get through Brock, and again, like Brock will only be easy if you have Squirtle, Misty's yeah. tough. Cause at that point you Pikachu's your only effective element against Misty. That yes. you can catch at that time. Right. So, yeah, her her Starmie is nightmarish. With yeah. Bulbasaur, at that point, I had Ivysaur, I had Vine Whip, I was fine. But even still, like, Starmie is tanky enough that it takes, like, five Vine Whips. And that thing knows, like, Psybeam or something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, I think Brock and Misty both being there, like, make sure you at least have one really intense gym battle was a really good design choice. Yeah, I think so too. For the first game, especially. Yeah. I'm cool to move on to questions if you want to. I think so too. Yeah. I just, I don't want to touch because there's so many good ones that I think will inspire even more conversation. I don't want to like tread that water until or before yeah. the questions. Totally. Well, let's move on to questions then. And uh, well, I almost said we... beware of spoilers. I'm so used to giving a spoiler heads up, but there's it's Pokemon Red. We're fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you really care, there will be spoilers, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to questions. It's Memorial Day and there's just like low flying helicopters and dogs barking and sirens all over the place driving me wild. But I, I, I mean, think, it's, I you know, it's it's the energy of Pokemon Red and Blue. It's it's Pokemon uh, Go summer all over again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, should we take a break and then come back and do questions? Sounds good to me. Goodbye, everybody. Smell you later, Gramps. Gotta catch them all. At least a couple <laughs> minutes of a break. See ya. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.
We are back with more Pokemon Red and Blue content. Before this episode, I kept saying just Pokemon Red casually, which I feel like inadvertently created a rivalry between us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I apologize for that. That was very upsetting to me. <laughs> Did you always play the like warmer color? Was that always your thing? I think at, at this point in my life, I don't know if I had a huge choice. I don't remember. I don't remember asking for one over the other. So I was just given red. So red was mine. Interesting. I did go silver instead of gold. So that was a switch. Okay. I think I had red silver. I, I missed Gen 3 initially, but then played again for our Game Boy Advance episode. Yeah. Pearl, which I guess would be the warm color. That would be the warmer one. Yes. Uh, White. Uh-huh. And then X, <laughs> which I don't know if that's... <laughs> How how that would be is the cool, that would be the cooler color because in that case it it was red and blue again essentially that's true Y yeah. was red and X was blue and then sword which I think was also because I I've I've messed wow, around you, you've been dabbling back and forth I've been very much like I'm sticking to the cooler color every single time do you have a um, starter you always choose you always go one element no I used to well I would say early on when I was a kid I would always start with the water type. Um, yeah. It was just always my energy and definitely in going back and replaying the originals, um, specifically like red and blue and gold and silver a lot. I, I have played through the games with all three starters in both of those games at this point um, yeah. over the years. But that having been said, I I so viscerally remember my birthday and getting both red and blue at the same time on my birthday because like oh, wow. my my aunt had gotten me Pokemon red because she knew that I really wanted Pokemon and then my parents had gotten me Pokemon blue. I, I think they just like didn't communicate about that that like w- one of them was getting so I, got, I ended up getting both for my birthday which was like incredible um, and ended up playing blue initially but I do have both cartridges which is pretty tight. Yeah I, I played this for this episode I played my like I still have my 97 red cartridge and I played that on the Game Boy Advance Kyle made for us. Another so shout cool. out to Kyle. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, what's funny about playing Game Boy games on the Game Boy Advance is they stick out for one. Yeah. Um, but two is that you can actually change if it's widescreen or like yeah. it's a four by three. But in like widescreen is useless because it just stretches everything out, especially for yeah. Pokemon. So I, I uh, did do that a lot though. When I like back in the day when the Game Boy Advance first came out, I did play a lot of Game Boy games like stretched as wide as possible to be full screen, which is so stupid. Yeah, I, um, I it, it definitely was like a little bit challenging to like look at a screen so small, but it was the screen is so nice on the Kyle Advance that it was totally fine. Yeah, um, I, I probably couldn't do it. Like I, I still have my Game Boy Color, but the idea of playing a Game Boy without a backlight, I, I draw the line there. I love playing <laughs> on retro consoles, but if there's no backlight, I'm gonna That's I'm it, gonna yeah. move a little bit ahead in time. I very much feel that. I very much feel the that. SP is the furthest back I'll go officially. Yeah. Uh, should we get into these questions? Yeah, I think I think that's a good idea. Uh, again, thank you to everyone who asked these. These are wonderful. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, Blue Thunder two nine nine asks: There were more fake playground rumors about this game than actual information about it. Uh, I think you're right. The Mew under the truck, Mew three. What rumors went around your school, and what is your favorite in retrospect? My favorite rumor was that uh, if you talked to the there was like a classroom setting. And I think it's in the Celadon City building where you get the Eevee. The, the person who gives you the Eevee, someone told me if you talk to him 400 times, <laughs> he would give you a Mew. And he would say, like, <gasps> shut up and take your damn Mew. It was like a very Jersey, <laughs> a very Jersey rumor. Like, get For the real. fuck out. I'm walking here. Take your Mew. And I think I, I was very gullible and still kind of them. But like back then, I think people knew it. They knew that like this weird kid that showed up with the cards first 
like would believe anything. Uh, so yeah, I remember being told that. I remember Pika Blue being a big thing. That was that gonna was be like, my answer. Yeah. So uh, Pika Blue actually is the the rumor that I heard about Pika Blue is so to be clear, this is Pokemon Yellow, so this is technically not part of this, but it's you know it's the same generation, so it's fine. Pika Blue started specifically in part because Meryl had already like leaked as a Pokemon that was coming in the next generation. Like sprites of Meryl had already appeared on the internet and things like that. Um, you know, very early internet, obviously, like early forums. You could like download over a long period of time a, a PNG of Meryl. And Pokemon Yellow opens with a cutscene, you know, like an animation of Pikachu like doing a bunch of stuff. And one of those things is that Pikachu is surfing. So the big rumor was you can teach your Pikachu to surf and they'll become Pika Blue and they'll become that thing that had leaked. Because if you look at the sprite of Pikachu and Meryl side by side, you could there is a little bit of a resemblance between the two. Like you could understand why you would conflate those two together. So the rumor was that you needed to beat the Elite Four <laughs> four times in a row. Oh, and my then God. And then delete your save file, start again, and make it to that same guy who gives you the Eevee. And instead of giving you an Eevee, he'll give you Pika Blue. Wow. And uh, I sure did that and deleted my save file after beating the game, which oh, was I'm so, sorry. so upsetting. There was no disappointment equal to just like meeting Meryl a few years later and being like, it's fine. It's like a, it's pretty normal. Th- yeah. There's a whole family of like Pikachu knockoffs that Pokemon has made. And Meryl is like just one of them. There's a billion. There's uh, Plusel and Minin. Right. Which are like literally also just electric mice again. <laughs> yeah, but they're like batteries. Yeah. Uh, I do. Honestly, I appreciate the first generation specifically because they like hadn't fully committed to Pikachu yet. Yeah, right. I don't know why Poliwag is like the mascot <laughs> of Pokemon in like 1996 specifically and then never again. But like every piece of art has I saw a Tumblr post about this recently, but it was like every piece of promotional art for Pokemon for some reason prominently featured someone from the Poliwag line of evolutions because they love just the big spiral on it. It is very evocative. Yeah, I think that was the the main artist's favorite. I remember hearing a rumor that like Poliwhirl mm. was his favorite creation. But yeah, you're right. Like Pikachu is like not that big of a deal in this game. They're, they're number 24 on the Pokedex. Yeah, there's only like two places to catch them. And like one of them is the like abandoned power plant. Where you get yeah. Zapdos. <laughs> yeah, I think the show really went all in on Pikachu. And it's, it's, I mean, like every, every like monster franchise like this has their mascot. And then there's like a million versions of them. So like SMT, it's Jack Frost. And there's like mm-hmm. a million different Jack Frost. Uh, Digimon, it's the dinosaur that I always forget its name. And that thing becomes like a Gundam at some point. So there's always like a variation. But yeah, the, the, the Mew rumor was big and um, Pika Blue was a big point of mystery as well also people would get the cards that were like the the coolest cards were the japanese ones and people would just make up what it did i remember they're like oh this this card makes you like give me your deck i'm like oh okay i believe you um that's so funny yeah for for the kids that didn't know japanese that was a, a cruel trick you want to move on to the next question uh yeah let's do it at okay warm i believe if you were a gym trainer what would your gym be like? What would be the gimmick and the theme? And for bonus points, who's on your team? There's sort of a version of this question that's always asked whenever we do a Pokemon bonus. And I always love it and I can't ever decide on it. If I was a gym trainer, assuming that we have to follow the rules and be like a singular type, I think that fire type would be fun. I think that there hasn't really been a good fire type gym. Actually, no, Flannery was awesome. No disrespect to Flannery. Uh, but like Blaine's a joke that you got to surf to get to him. And then that's how you win. 
It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, I think that <laughs> fire would be fun. I, I also like the idea of like having like a theme that's beyond just what element you're using. So I like the idea of like having a dog team, like Arcanine and like Houndoom oh, yeah. and other things. That would be I awesome. Love that. Uh, so I think I would be a, 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 the dog gym trainer. And uh, yeah, that would, that would be my goal, I think, as a gym leader. Mm. introduce themes above above element yeah yeah i i feel like it would be fun to have like a big like illusion theme gym that's like oh nice we're we're all like magicians you know we're like (laughs) wizards and stuff and we all use psychic or like ghost types that's amazing there there are some really creative gyms later on there's that really creepy dollhouse in x and y do you remember that one yeah i do yeah honestly pokemon black and white and black and white 2 as much as i'm like not a huge fan of those games honestly uh their gyms are at, like they just like cranked it all the way up to 11 oh, for yeah. those gym experiences they're like really wild the gyms uh, are great and like just the the that was where they sort of focused more on the online play i think so like yeah. the battles and gyms are kind of like the best they've ever been yeah for sure cool you want to move on to the next one yeah matt broderick on twitter okay so essentially this question is like thoughts on how glitches like Masigno were discovered pre-internet so like just sort of the playground rumors of it all. I remember being clearly shown this glitch in the school playground all those years ago and being mystified. That's a great point because like what we described with like the rumor of like, oh, you've got to be beat the elite four or four times and delete your save. The actual glitches were steps like that. So like, yeah. you know, Masigno, you had to talk to the guy who teaches you how to catch a Pokemon, fly to Cinnabar Island, and then surf on the coast of Cinnabar Island. And eventually you would find Masigno, which was missing number. And it was like a, a glitch Pokemon. And if you caught Masigno, it would like give you infinite amount of whatever the ninth item in your inventory was. So yeah. the big glitch was like to do that for rare candies and you could just like... Or for Master Balls or for Nuggets. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, But there was always a chance it would kind of mess up your game it was actually kind of scary can i go into the specifics of this yeah please I, I learned some of the specifics of this so the reason that this happens apparently is because when you talk to he uh the, the guy in um in viridian city his name is uh technically old man that's like what it shows up as so when you go and talk to him and he teaches you how to catch pokemon it swaps out your name with old man so it's like you know because it, it initiates the battle and technically like you're just seeing it from his perspective but it needs to store your name somewhere you know, even though it's swapped out old man for somewhere else, it needs to store whatever you entered your name as somewhere. So it stores it into the game's files. And when you do that and then, you know, go and do that, uh, that like tutorial on how to catch Pokemon, then immediately fly somewhere else. You know, as we already mentioned, the side of Cinnabar Island is like completely weird. Like the coastline is just like completely fucked up for some reason. But your name will still be stored in that memory. So what happens is when you go over there and you're going up and down, because your name is stored in the memory, that is also what the game is checking against. Like it's checking against the memory to see like who should show up when when you're fighting them. But because it's like a bunch of letters and not actual numbers, it doesn't know what numbers should show up. So what actually happens is it enters anywhere between I think it's like 120 to 250. It like checks the the Pokemon numbers for 120 through 250, which most times will not be a Pokemon that exists because there's only like 30 Pokemon that can exist in that in that section. So there are two things that can show up here outside of the like couple Pokemon that overlap. Actually, there's missing number who shows up as missing. No. And then there's M missing. No, totally cool. Catch it. Great. Just don't put it in a Pokemon box or else your save won't work anymore. But if you catch missing, no, like you can use it and that's cool and it's fine. It'll eventually level up into a Nidoking, apparently, which I didn't know. <laughs> it's pretty wild. 
If cool. you catch M, though, if M shows up and you catch M, broken immediately. There goes your save file. You're completely fucked. You got to start over. Wow. I remember, I don't know if it was M or Masina, but I caught a Pokemon and the music in the Poke Center was like forever different. Very scary. As a it's kid. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, and it was like fodder for so many creepy pastas about Pokemon and like, Totally. Having like a haunted game and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how people figured out the missing no thing, especially like there are things that people are figuring out like kind of recently. Like, for example, the the way to catch a Mew, which I didn't even go into earlier, like you can catch a Mew basically based on very similar ideas to what I was just talking about. It involves like catching. You can just Google this. I, I'm not going to go into like the step by step, but like you, you have to catch an Abra and use teleport in a specific spot and then go run into one of the trainers uh, and then immediately like save your game and reset start and whatever and then eventually a mew will show up it's level seven it's like actually kind of at level for what you're supposed to be at at that point which is pretty cool um it has something to do with fighting a slow poke and they're the slow pokes special stat is 15 uh so it just like throws a one at the end when you're trying to go like encounter a random pokemon so that makes it 151 there's mew cool um, oh cool yeah it's very interesting but that having been said like people are figuring that stuff out now because they've like decompiled the Pokemon cartridge code and have like figured out how it works and all the interesting shortcuts that Game Freak took to make this game happen. I just want to be clear also because it's a thing, you know, there's a word that we've used a couple times. It's a word like speedrunners use all the time that really bothers me, but like Pokemon isn't broken to be clear. Like the game is not broken. It's actually very creatively designed is how I would put it. It's kind of amazing. As we've said many times, it's very ambitious. It's an extremely ambitious game to fit on a cartridge, but because of that, they had to like, like take some shortcuts, you know, in terms of the things that they're loading in or out. So we're learning that kind of stuff now as we're like decompiling it and like sifting through that stuff. And now it's like pretty widely available on the Internet. I have no idea how people figured out the missing no thing in 1997. That still blows yeah. my because I knew Especially it. like a, a playground of children. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if there was like some issue of Nintendo power that mentioned it as like a tip or trick. Like it, th- there must have been something like that. Because I think that like even though, you know, at that time we had enough free time and like enough interest to just play that yeah. game to death and maybe even stumble. Because some of that stuff you can kind of stumble into, honestly. Mm-hmm. So like there are some things where, you know, like that is not an unthinkable thing to just discover. But yeah, I... I I would guess that there was maybe like like a very early IGN article or like uh, most likely a Nintendo Power because I I, mm-hmm. I got Nintendo Power all the time at that age and there was a, always like just a section for Pokemon they yeah. would highlight someone's team and describe like you know what what strategies they used and and That's other so things fun. so there was probably like a rumors section of that that said it. and then you know then it was the my uncle and Nintendo stuff uh, you know right. like oh my uncle who made this game did this. Or whatever. Did you know anyone who actually had a Mew like the legal way? Because there was a kid in my grade specifically who traveled to Japan while they were doing the Mew giveaway and got a Mew. And then there's like the duplication glitch because of the way the Missingo thing works where you can duplicate Pokemon also. Yeah. And he like duplicated Mew like a billion times and gave it to everybody in our school. That's amazing. I had the Game Shark that like you could put a cartridge in. Yeah. And, and that that allowed you to get a Mew. But you essentially had to turn one of your Pokemon into a Mew. Yeah. That was I even... dark arcane magic. That's so funny. I felt like it was so like, it's probably just like something you could buy at Toys R Us and we're like, oh yeah, I have a Game Shark. I'll play by the rules. <laughs> yeah. You know? It was pretty hardcore. Yeah. Game Shark made yeah. a bunch of them. There was like for that and also for like the old uh, home consoles as well. And then eventually there was Action Replay, which was the one for the PS2. That's pretty fun. Absolutely. 
at Cyclex, what were your experiences with the fun, glitchy sides of this game growing up? Do you feel like overall the bugginess of the game is a negative thing or are there positives that outweigh the less fun bugs? Um, we, we touched on this kind of already, but I would say like in terms of the negative or positive, like I think that like, again, if you're just playing this game normally without knowing any of that stuff, nothing really gets in the way of the game, at least in terms of the bugs. Like there are obviously some like design things that later in the series they kind of brushed off and refined but like misigno is not going to get in the way of you playing this game <laughs> unless you know like how to summon them right um or i mean there's a whole thing there's a place called glitch city where like you can mess up future city enough and you like can't move <laughs> like it's like all this weird stuff so like that was just fun i think i think the bugs in this game are fun because they sort of at the time especially just like fun secrets you could uncover yeah that were weirdly kind of synonymous with just like the discovery of the game like finding the pokemon and stuff like there was almost a meta side to it where there's just discovery in the game itself yeah um see i don't i don't think any of it made it less fun there's also an aspect of this game that like kind of is a little bit meta right like you can go meet like the people who work at game freak at a certain point in the game and they're they're like aha i drew your character sprite isn't that sick it's like this is super weird yeah and and i feel like at a certain point going in and like learning the misingo thing and all of these other glitches that can exist almost felt like you're mastering the world which is what the game wanted you to do in the first place in a way you know like the game wanted you to catch them all and become a pokemon master and the only way you can really do that is if you catch misingo and uh duplicate your master ball to be 99 but (laughs) when i was a kid i loved doing that stuff i had a really good time with the glitches and like i lost my save file a couple times and that just gave me an excuse to go play the game again like it it wasn't like upsetting to me yeah i loved restarting it yeah Yeah. it's a short enough game that like there was always like a replay factor because i would use a different team i never really had a huge interest in like catching them all honestly like i I kind of just liked getting the team that I wanted and sticking to that. Yeah. Um, Me either. I might have been a, a, alone with that. but Yeah, I was I was definitely not a catch-em-all person early on either. Uh, as I mentioned many times on the show, Pokemon Diamond was the only one where I caught them all, which did require me catching them all in red and then silver and then, I guess, ruby and then trading them all up, which was like just a horrible process. But uh, I, sure, I sure did it <laughs> once, um, which is pretty wild. But um, anyway, you know, the bugginess of the game. I don't know. My favorite one was Weedle. <laughs> Let's move on to oh, another question. Oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot that Weedles have like clown noses that always sort of weirded me out. Yeah. What is this clown bug? They're pretty cute. At the Hainstock, what was the most frustrating area to play through as an adult or a kid? Also, who's on the squad for the Elite Four showdown? Because I still feel 10-year-old me's pain having a squad of Pokemon <laughs> I think are cool, but suck against the Elite Four. I love this question. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great question. So um, I guess starting with the area. Oh, do you have an answer? Yeah, I, I have an answer. Yeah, I, Mount Moon really fucked me up on this playthrough specifically. <laughs> I still, yeah. to be clear, like you, I still remember exactly how to get through it. Like without really needing to pay attention but it was the encounter rate that was the point where i was like oh my god the encounter rate in this game is like really actually driving me up a wall so that really fucked me up do you want to do you want to say yours then we could talk about we could talk about team lineup i have i have my team yeah yeah written down. as an adult yeah mount moon surprised me because I, ne- I never had really negative associations with that as a kid mm-hmm. and then this playthrough i was like ew i don't even <laughs> want to explore this place as as a as a kid i would probably say like one of the team rocket hideouts I imagine. Yeah. I don't really remember. They're like pretty brutal. This game like so quickly became such a routine that like I don't think anything really stood out to me. But I, I remember. Oh, you know what else? 
I, I almost never got Articuno because that whole area was such a pain to navigate. Oh, where you have to push the blocks into the holes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's kind of a cool thing because it's, like, an optional area. But, like, I'm like, I, I can just find Moltres. Like, Moltres is just waiting for me at the end of Victory Road. Yeah. Zapdos is in the power plant. Articuno is, like, such a pain to get. Yeah. They are cool, though. I do like the ice flying combo. Yeah, totally. And, uh, okay, so who's in the squad for the Elite Four is the next question. Yeah, so I, I guess to be clear, I, I don't know if we said this on the show or not but neither of us like beat the game again in anticipation of this episode but we did play like way more of it than i have in a long time to be clear but i've i've played these yeah. games so many times and steven has as well that like we could speak to the whole thing like pretty confidently but uh that having been said i made it to cinnabar island was where i got to uh before i stopped playing this time around i made it through uh the the abandoned mansion uh where there's all the burglars who actually don't fight you unless you talk to them which is weird <laughs> it's like also the only place where that happens um but uh, yeah I, but anyway, my team was uh, Blastoise, Mew, Jolteon, Ninetales, Victory Bell, and Haunter, because Haunter is my favorite Pokemon. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I also always love Jolteon as well. Yeah. I got a little bit less far. I, I got to like a little after Viridian City. My team was Ivysaur. Vermilion City. You made it, you made it to Vermilion City. Vermilion City. I'm yeah. sorry. What did I say? You said Viridian. That would be like the top of the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I got past Viridian City. <laughs> Although you do go back there eventually. You so, sure you know, do. Who knows? My team was Ivysaur, mm. Mankey, who I never catch, but I was like, let me give Mankey a shot this time. Mankey's awesome. Because uh, Primeape is sick. Yeah. Um, and I never really use. I like having a fighting type. So Mankey's not one of the trade to evolve ones, are they? No, Machamp is. Yeah, that uh, which is purposely why I avoided. Yeah, uh, I hate uh, that this time around. Yeah, it's. I'm glad they undid that in RCS. Like you don't have to trade yeah, to evolve anyone. I don't think. I don't think you can trade. Maybe you can. I don't know. Whatever. But uh, <laughs> Ivysaur, Mankey, Diglett. Diglett's a good get. You, I mean, you can also get a Doug Trio in there. Like, uh, you know, it's a little bit more difficult, but you can make it happen. And Doug Trio is always like way higher level than you are at that point that you make it it's there scary. as well. But like, it's so funny that they just put like, OK, here's like just a weird, like uh, essentially just like a hot dog of a Pokemon that's ground type. <laughs> And there's a whole cave just filled with them just so you can pick one up in case you didn't pick up any ground types on your way to go fight the yeah. electric leader. I na- I tried to name them Three's Company, but it cut off Three's comp. <laughs> so that was my Diglett. Uh, Fern was my Ivysaur. Nice. Helga was my Nidorina. Homework was my Mankey. I don't know why I went <laughs> with Homework. That's a really good name. And all, yeah, Homework! <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good name. Three's comp. And I also had a Clefairy named Azura. So I would have changed it up a bit. I definitely would have had Jolteon. Um, I love this idea that like having a team that, you know, sucks, but you think is cool. That's like always my move, especially that's like why I love doing Nuzlocke because it it makes you use a team you wouldn't have used otherwise. And you can kind of see like my one of my best Pokemon in my Emerald Nuzlocke was my Loudred. Which, like, Mm. is not one you would probably use if you were just playing Emeralds. But like I loved that la- Tony Sopran. Tony Sopran. I loved that Loudred so much. Oh, man. Hey, if you are listening to this and you haven't watched Steven's Nuzlocke of Pokemon Emerald, you should go do that. It's on our YouTube. It's like still prominently <laughs> displayed on YouTube.com slash into the cast. It's it is as good as the Sopranos. Definitely. <laughs> I appreciate the plug. It's definitely like I mean, I, I always love streaming, um, but that is something that like felt like a series of its own. Yeah. That was like the first time I streamed something where I'm like, oh, this is like its own thing. I also just said Sopranos. Like I, <laughs> what the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> That's like uh, when I, I used to work at a cafe and someone like everyone now and then someone would be like, can I have a croissant? You know, like they would like, suddenly go into French <laughs> for a croissant. 
But anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, my go-tos in red are Jolteon. I do also love uh, Gengar. I love Dragonite, which is like a very good Pokemon. But yeah. I think what I love about Dragonite, I love the Pokemon that are cool, but they're not like Yu-Gi-Oh cool. Like, they're not like trying to be edgy <laughs> know, yeah. or like, yeah. you know, like 90s cool. Like Dragonite, like yeah. they had this like fairy tale quality to them. And who else did I use a lot? I mean, I'm a Bulbasaur fan for life. I always try to use Cloyster and then I regret it. I'm like, why did I invest in this? <laughs> what am I doing? Slowbro, I'm also a huge fan of. I love tanky, weird Pokemon like Slowbro and Dragonite. It's Snorlax also is in that camp, Snorlax, I think. Yeah. It's weird. I forgot until this playthrough that um, there's just a person who gives you a Lapras. Yeah. Lapras is also one of my favorites. Great. It's the only way you can get them, too. Yeah, it's it's weird. They're like, thanks for saving me. Here's the Lapras, which is a like a huge thing just to casually give someone. Yeah, it's really confusing. I don't know. I don't know why that's the case. You couldn't put Lapras in like any of the like, honestly, Seafoam Islands where Articuno is. That'd be a great place to put Lapras in terms of like just running into them. Lapras is one of those like almost legendary type Pokemon to me in terms of just design and, and function. Yeah. Um, Ice types are also super good in this game. Thinking about Jolteon too, I, I had another realization, you know, just thinking about like how much they wanted you to like interact with other kids who are also playing this game and use the link cable and whatever, whatever. Just thinking about the fact that y- you only get the one EV and you have to choose which one you're going to evolve it into. But that also meant like you'd need to go find other kids, to like trade them back and forth if you wanted to fill the Pokedex. Brutal. Yeah, this is before breeding too. So you really only had one shot. You just had the one shot. Jolteon. Yeah. Yeah, I I like Flareon, but they're just not good. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like Vaporeon and Jolteon are both really good. Yeah. And there's also not a lot. There are way fewer electric types than you would think. That's always Especially my thing. Especially in Gen 1. Vaporeon's yeah. my favorite by far. Like, no question. Love Vaporeon. Like, up there for favorite Pokemon. But uh, I always pick Squirtle when I play this game. So I'm never going to pick Vaporeon. I always need an electric type. And Jolteon's sick. Jolteon's great. I also am a big Leafeon fan, but they're later on. Yeah, Leafeon's good. All, all the Eevees are pretty good. Good. I want more of them, though. We talk about this all the time. I want yeah. more Eevee evolutions. I want a computer-type um, Eevee. <laughs> EXEV. EXEV! <laughs> wow. I, I I need someone to draw that. I really need to see EXEV. I might draw it. Whatever. I don't care. Let's all draw it. Let's all draw EXEV. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, okay. So this is a big question. This is something that I think we, we like actually prepared for. Uh, it's from Kyle. Hi Kyle mm. at Kyle star. How does red and blue fare against fire, red, leaf, green, and let's go Pikachu Eevee. Because of this, I just started playing yellow on my analog pocket. Shout out mm. to Brendan for the trip to video games NYC where I picked up this copy. Yeah. I guess just a little bit of background. There's a really, really, really wonderful retro store in Manhattan called Video Games New York um, that I would highly recommend checking out whenever you get the chance. I go to I go to like a decent amount of retro stores around New York and Brooklyn. Um, but uh, that one in particular has just like a lot of stuff that's like just for show. Like it's all it's like partially a museum. Also, there's like a like a billion things that Miyamoto signed for some reason, which is really fun. <laughs> just like this whole whole wall of like, what did what did we get Miyamoto to sign last time? Which is very fun. But uh, Kyle Starr came to uh, came to New York once and we we met up and went to go visit just to like see what was up and walked out with a couple of things, which is cool. And Kyle picked up yellow, which is pretty tight. Yeah. OK, so this is kind of a big one because Fire Red and Leaf Green, just as like a reminder, came out in the early 2000s. It was based off of 
uh, the engine for Ruby and Sapphire, you know, the Game Boy Advance, like tentpole Pokemon titles for that for that console um, and was a was a remake of of Red and Blue. Um, but in this case, I guess Red and Green specifically, the, the Japan only uh, version. It was a big deal when it came out. I don't know if you recall, like how big of a deal it was when, when Red and Green came out or Fire Red and Leaf Green came out. But they came with like the cartridge that had like the the wireless reader. So you didn't need a link cable anymore, which yeah. is pretty wild. They were they were pretty big. And I even at that time when they came out, I remember thinking to myself, like, I am excited to play Red and Blue again, like because I, I hadn't played them in forever. My cartridge was like in storage somewhere, probably at that point. It was like, cool, I can't wait to revisit this thing. Like without even knowing that the word nostalgia existed, I was nostalgic <laughs> for Red and Blue at that point. And I remember picking them up and liking them enough. And it wasn't until we did our Game Boy Advance bonus that we were playing those and also Ruby Sapphire Emerald that it really clicked for me that I don't think that these are like great, great. I, like I, I would I wouldn't play Fire Red and Leaf Green over the originals, I think, is kind of my takeaway from it. I actually did pick up Fire Red shortly after it came out. So even though I missed third gen initially, I did have Fire Red mm. and I played it in college. Actually, my first Nuzlocke that I did on my own. And for those who don't know what Nuzlocke is, it's a way of playing Pokemon where if your Pokemon faints, like they're done, you can't use them anymore. And you can only catch the first Pokemon you encounter in any area. So I think specifically for Nuzlocke's, if you wanted to do that in the first generation, this is the best way to do it because you have the quality of life improvements of third generation. I am a little bit warmer on Fire Red Leaf Green than you are. I, I think that I, I do think you're right that they're not on the same level as third gen overall, like by far. I think the thing is that like, Playing Fire Red, you know, when it came out and also enjoying it and then revisiting the Game Boy Advance and feeling like a little bit underwhelmed by them and then playing it again in anticipation of this episode. I think like as a game, they're great. Like they, they do what they set out to do. Yeah. You are playing Pokemon first generation through the filter of third gen. But I think because of the challenge of a remake, you know, it's like, OK, a remake could be so many different things. It can be. Let's give this a second chance. You know, Pokemon Red and Blue, I think, kind of almost immediately dated themselves in some ways with like, again, we talk about the ambition and the hardware at the time. And even Pokemon Yellow did a lot to like smooth the edges. And like, you know, that game was trying to tie it closer to the show, which is like, it's fine. But yeah, you know, the sprites were nicer. Like you could like Machop didn't look flat. Like they were, <laughs> there was like, <laughs> you know, more refinement in that. And then like, you know, so I, th I think there was a desire to be like, let's play that first generation, but like with the immediate improvements we've made in like a five year span, you know, it's like a really short amount of time between first gen and even this remake. Yeah. But I think that's kind of like, it is like by the book, it's just like, okay, like here's that game in this engine. Yes. There's not really a lot of like, uh, it's hard to say, but like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of love behind it. It sort of feels a little bit like by the books in some ways. There's some great sprite work like i think the selling point of the game is that the pokemon themselves look great yeah and i think like when this came out i would probably if we were doing this show in 2004 i think i would be more excited about these <laughs> and and be pushing these more but like when you have other options or even just the option to play red and blue i think that there are so many pokemon games if you're gonna play red and blue you should probably just play red and blue like i, I think that there's like yeah. a unique vibe to the original that it, it almost feels too sanded off 
in the third gen remix. Now, yeah. if you're just like, if you just want to play a Pokemon game and you want something that feels familiar, but you don't want to deal with like the bullshit of the original, then these are good options. I think they are worth playing. I agree. But I do think that there's, there's a, there's something missing uh, from the original game. And again, I think it goes back to just like, this wasn't a short thing. This is an ambitious idea that people really believed in. And Fire Red and Leaf Green are like them kind of resting on their laurels a little bit. Yeah, I think also just what, one of the things I think we mentioned on the Game Boy Advance episode, I'm not sure, but one, one of the things that really bums me out about these specific games, especially compared to Ruby and Sapphire, is just like they like desaturated the color scheme of that engine like all this all the tile work and stuff all the environment design it's a bland yeah and ruby and sapphire is so vibrant and cool and interesting and like that's one of the reasons i love those games so much and and that world specifically i think it's just so pretty and to remake kanto and be like yeah kanto is like muted and a little bit boring it's like <laughs> like it honestly like that decision by itself like it all starts with the environment design and from that point on like that actually by itself is kind of an encapsulation of kind of every decision that was made about those games it does i think you i think you put it very well you when you said it's it's by the books i mean it is very much just like a straight up remake of red and blue there's not enough that's changed that really makes it worth playing over the originals for me again like you said if they're the one that you can get your hands on like you're gonna have a really good time to be clear but for me specifically like the stuff that they've changed the stuff that they've added is all post-game content it's like they added new islands like Team Rocket like picks up a new island when the Elite Four is over so you can like go fight Team Rocket again. It's like I don't know why that needed to happen, but sure, why not? Go fight <laughs> Team Rocket again. One of the things I find so interesting about Red and Blue is that the Elite Four was post-game content in the original game. Like in the original game, in Red and Blue, you play through the story, you do the whole Team Rocket side quest, whatever whatever, but your goal the whole time is like catch them all and beat all eight gym leaders. Big, sorry for the spoiler, big plot twist reveal eighth gym is giovanni the leader of team rocket holy shit wild i'm doing both of the things that i'm doing simultaneously i'm i'm solving both problems at once very cool at no point prior to that does anyone mention that the elite four even exists which is really cool that to me i think is like one of the more interesting things about red and blue that i had really kind of forgotten until i had made it all the way to cinnabar island in this point and was like nobody's mentioned the elite four it was that supposed to be a secret and i like went and like checked out some other people's let's plays of just like what the rest of the game looked like and like nobody mentions the elite four that is technically post-game content and to make it through all eight gym badges and then you have to go to victory road sorry you you go to uh what is that i I forget that like that area before victory road oh Um, yeah it's it's the route out of verdian city right Yes, exactly yeah. that. And you have to go through the the eight doorways where there's eight people who check to make sure you have the badges on the way there. I love that so much. That yeah. takes you to the elite four. These four people that you didn't even know existed who are like wildly difficult battles. And then you make it to the end of that. Your rival has beaten you there like that. That whole thing is amazing. Like that yeah. whole experience is like second to none, like incredible game design and even just narrative design choices just one after the other really really fucking cool and then fire red and leaf green is like okay but that's that's the quest so now we're gonna add a bunch of other stuff onto the end of that and not that that's bad i know people always want more post-game stuff in pokemon like that's a very it's a very common complaint but it it hadn't occurred to me until this playthrough that the elite four technically was post-game stuff in this game yeah that's a brilliant point i also think like at that point they fused the mart and the poke center together i love that the game yeah we just got to do that from now on like we're not gonna (laughs) we're not gonna split them up anymore yeah but yeah i mean i think also like the fact that you had to fight them as a gauntlet like you really do need to make a good team and the music 
music that plays when you fight your rival and Professor Oak showing up again and being like, you're better than him because you like chose love instead of power. Mm-hmm. It's very corny, but like it it does really feel like you earned it. Yeah. Um, and I do I, remember it, being like nine years old and thinking like, yes, I did earn this. <laughs> yeah. And even just the arc with Giovanni, like him becoming kind of redeemed by your passion mm-hmm. for Pokemon and choosing to like become a gym leader instead of like leading a mob that was taking over the world (laughs) like that is uh that idea of forgiveness and redemption is also carried into silver and gold with the rival in that game yeah um which like i think that there's i don't know i I think that like again pokemon stories are always what they are i think that like even though there are there are really interesting ideas in a lot of them and like you know we have an emotional attachment to them like they're they're simple stories largely for a younger audience but that doesn't mean they have to be like without meaning or without emotional weight either and I think that the way the game chooses to tell its story, especially in the moments that are intertwined with the mechanics, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. Giovanni's redemption is tied to your final badge. Like that is the moment where all plots kind of converge on one point. Yeah, it's it's really well done. I, I hadn't even remembered that either, that the Elite Four was post game. It's like a surprise. It's very cool. Um, so anyway, all that having been said, I, I think, look, Fire Red and Leaf Green are good games. I like them when they came out and I enjoyed playing them. Um, but I do feel like playing the original red and blue you will have a more interesting and more diverse experience from what you will get from other pokemon games by playing those and the stuff that you're missing by not playing fire red and leaf green is like kind of negligible like you'll get a lot of that stuff from ruby and sapphire and that generation anyway um so i don't don't think they're like must plays like I i don't think that they have supplanted red and blue really for me that having been said let's go pikachu and eevee which I was thinking about this just kind of ambiently while we've been talking, by the way. I do think that Pikachu is is the warm color version of this and Eevee is the cool color version. I don't know why that is, <laughs> but I, I really I really think that Eevee is like the blue version of, of Pikachu and Eevee. So anyway. we're, we're back where we started because I chose Pikachu. Did you? Yeah. OK, cool. I, I chose Eevee. Um, that having been said, those games, I think, are different enough that they do stand on their own as a different thing. And it is a different experience than going and playing Red and Blue or Fire Red and Leaf Green. They're like, obviously, there's the pokemon go mechanics in terms of battling and catching like there are completely different mechanics at play here but also the thing that you and i talked about a lot when those games came out which is wild to think about at all that we've been doing the show that long but when those games came out when we first talked about them was like it's amazing how how well realized the pokemon world is in this game like the the fact that the pokemon are kind of out of the ball with you like you can ride your onyx around and like you are as tall as some of the buildings in some cases when you're doing that like that experience actually feels markedly different than playing red and blue or fire red and leaf green, even though it's totally following the same beat by beat of the story. It's a, it's, it's a very different thing. And that I would say, I don't consider this to be like, do I play uh, red and blue fire red leaf green or let's go Pikachu and Eevee? I would say like, are all of these worth playing independent of one another? Like if you're playing through all the Pokemon games, should you experience all of those? And I think like there's a little bit of a give and take with fire red and leaf green, but red and blue and the let's go games, I think, are like must plays in that lineage. I agree. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, I played a little bit of Fire Red and, and Let's Go Pikachu before this episode is to sort of like have an answer for this question. And Fire Red, I did the opening half hour and I was enjoying it. But it's OK. This is like, you know, a modern lens of, of this game. Yeah. And then I started up Let's Go Pikachu and and immediately I, I forgot that I had a Pikachu with sunglasses and a top hat. Or like a, <laughs> yeah. Not quite a fedora, but not quite a top. I don't know what it is. A bowler hat, I guess. <laughs> 
Pikachu with a weird hat and sunglasses named King, who was riding on my shoulders, and I was riding a giant Arcanine through Celadon City. Hell yeah. And I, and I gasped. And then the game stopped me, and it said, Zachary is jealous of King. I guess that was my Arcanine's name. <laughs> and it was like, do you want to give Zachary some attention real quick? And I'm like, yes. I think you're totally right that it's so different. The thing for me with Let's Go is that, like, I do think that the combat and the go, like the go catching mechanics are honestly fine. The way that they really simplify the combat, like does, I think, take away from that game a little bit. I think that like, if there was a way to smush Fire Red with Let's Go, that would be the definitive way to play Red and Blue. Mm. Like if you had the fully realized world and ambiance of Let's Go with the sort of like battle mechanics of Fire Red, that would be like a dream come true. So you have one or the other. I, I agree though. I would say that Let's Go, even though I think it's, a slightly more up and down game experience than fire red. There are more interesting ideas going on there in, in the game itself. The thing about the let's go games that I think like really, really stands head and shoulders above what I had expected when those games first came out. And I, 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 to be clear, was also very iffy on introducing the Pokemon go mechanics into that game. But what I realized it actually kind of solves the problem that I had with red and blue initially, which is the encounter rate. I don't mind the encounter rate as much in Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee when it's just catching Pokemon. Like if all I need to do is just like aim at a circle and then throw a ball, that's a lot easier than like making my way through a turn based combat system menu and just like doing the same fight over and over and over again. It's a lot easier to just be like, I'm going to throw a ball and then move on with my day or just bail. And I love that they reserve the battles specifically for like really high intensity moments. Like when you're up against Mewtwo, for example, you're going to have to fight Mewtwo before you can try and do the Pokemon Go catching mechanic, which I think is a really brilliant move is like battles punctuate really big narrative moments that happen throughout the game. So you do need to focus on battling, but it's not the only thing you're doing. I, I, I People really bumped up against that game. People really didn't like it very much. I, it seems like kind of the large majority of people outside of you and I kind of uh, speak pretty ill of that game. I really, really, really appreciated that they, by introducing the Pokemon Go side of things, allowed there to be more mechanic diversity throughout the, throughout the, uh, the experience. I, th- I think that that was a really smart decision because at a certain point... In every Pokemon game I've ever played, the ones I love down to the ones I think are like just fine. There's always a point like six to seven badges in where I get tired of battling random Pokemon or even trainers at a certain point where I'm just like, I'm kind of sick of this. I just want to kind of see the resolution. And I feel like Pokemon Let's Go, weirdly enough, has the best balance of all of them because of that specifically. Yeah, I agree for the most part. But I think my point of tension with it is that like you get so overleveled so quickly without even trying in that game that like <laughs> yeah. the battles are kind of all reduced to tedium. That's also very personal for me that I, I love that experience. I love being overpowered in these kinds of games. So that actually that speaks to my specific preferences also. Yeah, I do think, though, that you're onto something with this idea that battles aren't the only thing you're doing. And we see that design taken and really solidified in, in Pokemon Legends Arceus, yeah. where like the majority of that game is catching and exploring and then the battles are intense and i think that game also like i'm not against things being easy but i think that there needs Mm. to be a purposeful challenge or design behind it so when it feels like i'm just you know like i think that there are there's actually a question about difficulty in this in this list so i won't say too much but i think that like in any game if it's a total wash it feels a little bit loose and it feels like okay like things don't have the weight they should Mm. and if it's like way too hard in a way that's like arbitrary like 
you know, you have stuff, I mean, that, and this is obviously differs by the individual, but I think, you know, you have stuff that's difficult in the way that like Elden Ring is difficult. Right. And then you have stuff that's difficult in the way that Super Mario Kart is difficult, where it's like every, it's like almost by accident. Like they, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't even mean, like it's just, it's just made in a way where like yeah. the difficulty is arbitrary. Clearly it's supposed um, to be for everybody and absolutely for nobody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely for nobody oh my god um said the creator of exev um <laughs> scathing review uh but yeah i, I would say I, I think you're right that even though i do think like pound for pound fire red leaf green are better games as an overall package i think that let's go pikachu and eevee have really brilliant ideas and they will stay in your mind way longer than fire red will yeah i totally agree that also says like you know at this point there's so many options yeah um that let's go is definitely a unique take on it, it. is funny they keep going back and remaking red and blue though it is i mean it, it shows just, like just you put know, them on switch <laughs> yeah I, I think there needs to be a game boy library and i think having pokemon red and blue here would be so cool that i think yeah i mean that, that's a thing that i i talk about very frequently with people in the discord all the time like i feel like we're constantly bringing this up this idea that they have this uh nintendo online plus expansion pack and the most obvious thing they could do to just like absolutely crush signups for that thing is have game boy be in the non-expansion pack section with pokemon red and blue and maybe gold and silver and then a game boy advance in the plus expansion pack that has gen 3 in there uh and and they'll do gangbusters anyway all that have been said i hope that answered your question kyle <laughs> yeah do you want to take a break because that was a pretty big one and then come back and we'll answer the rest of these questions sure that sounds good to me cool all right we'll see you on the other side dear listener bye-bye goodbye We're back in the show. We have more questions to answer from you, dear listeners. Thank you so much for uh, sending all of these in. This is very fun. Uh, I'll, I'll ask the next one. This is from Cadius Bane on Twitter. Was thinking about a replay of the original games. Which do you think is your preference between yellow versus red, blue, green? I love the yellow changes to the story and the sprites, but something about removing the starter choice does seem to lessen the experience for me. Yeah, I agree. I also I think like I love the show. I have very fond memories of the Pokemon anime, but I don't need that to be the game. I kind of like them being different. So like the the sort of retconning of Jesse and James being there and everything is like whatever. Yellow, I mean yellow is great. I think yellow is actually kind of a nice bridge between if you want the like refinement of Fire Red but still have like the soul of the Gen 1, yellow mm-hmm. is kind of a nice bridge between the two. But overall, I would say like at this point in time, when there's so many Pokemon games to choose from, if you're feeling like revisiting Kanto, red and blue is the way to go. Red, blue, green. I will say that in the many years since playing yellow for the first time and constantly going back and replaying these games over and over and over and over again over decades, I have never made it through another playthrough of yellow after my first. It's never really appealed to me on that level to continue to go back and play. I don't know what it is about that game in particular. And it might it might even start with something as small as the removal of your choice of starter. But but it's never it's never worked for me. I also think like giving you a Pikachu and then making you go up go up against Brock immediately is like that's brutal that's a that's a really (laughs) hard choice I think I think yellow adds a Machop in the grass before Brock don't quote me on that or Butterfree knows confusion Mm. but yeah it it is a pretty cruel joke 
Yeah. Like, yeah, you can play as Pikachu. How about how about Brock first? <laughs> Eat shit. Like at least with with Charmander, Ember can do something against the rock. It's not super yeah. effective, but like they have low enough special defense it does do something. Ground types are immune to electricity. So you just have a rat at that point. It's not even Pikachu anymore. <laughs> I don't re- I don't remember correctly. Uh, but I, I think Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are remakes of Yellow specifically and not remakes of Red and Blue, right? In theory, yeah, because I think Je- I, I actually, when I loaded my save file, I'm in the Rocket Hideout in Celadon City, mm. and Jesse and James are just at the casino. So they're in there. Yeah. And um, I think that Gary or your rival in Pokemon Yellow has an Eevee. So I think it's a kind of a shout out to that uh, idea as well. Yeah pretty cool it's pretty cool i think i don't remember if if he evolves it or not or if there's like a way to influence what it turns into or not mm, interesting. that could be that could be fun let me let me look that up okay so i found it out i found the answer your rivals eevee will evolve into different eevee evolutions depending on how often you uh win against them so if you like oh. lose at certain points it will change the path which is interesting so like if you continue to lose over and over again i imagine They'll evolve into Vaporeon, so you'll be more likely to win because you have a Pikachu. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I, I believe I believe that's correct. But that that's is very cool. I, I didn't remember that. That's a neat yeah. fact about Yellow. Anyway, that having been said, I mean, I I enjoyed I enjoyed Yellow when I when it came out and when I first played it until uh, I was tricked into deleting my save file to go back and get <laughs> Pika Blue. And uh, I I don't know. Maybe I've just had a chip on my shoulder ever since, but I haven't gone back and played it. It sounds like you might have, especially since you went with Eevee too. This time <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Keep me away. Eevee is so iconic that like when your whole shtick is that you can turn into a bunch of different forms, the fact that there's a whole game based on you on your default form, that speaks yeah. volumes. Eevee is so a legend. Too. Yeah. Eevee is, is very popular uh, in Japan specifically is, is uh, one of the big reasons that they ended up doing that for that game, which is pretty cool because uh, I feel like Eevee does not get that amount of love over here. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting to see which Pokemon of the hundreds now, which become celebs, you know, like... When is Loudred gonna get their their spotlight? You know. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I agree. I think we got it uh, on YouTube.com/slash into the cast. Yeah, that's true. That is that is the <laughs> that is the spotlight for Loudred. Uh-huh. Um, so you know we got it in one. That's cool. This next question is from uh, Noah Hertz on Twitter. In a game with a smaller Pokedex like this one, are you the type to catch them all, or are you more of a only catch the ones I'll use or I like? type of players the latter for sure yeah uh, me too uh as, as i've already mentioned pokemon diamond that was the one but uh yeah i never never really felt the need to catch them all i do i i mean it is fun to just shout it out in case you didn't know this just like a fun a fun brendan fact uh but if you catch them all you can uh get a certificate from the game freak people in in their office and they'll give you the ability to print out a certificate that says that you caught them all with the game boy printer uh which you i think can no longer buy ink for so i think there's like a weird <laughs> secondhand market of people who like actually like sell the printed certificate from a Game Boy printer, which is pretty wow. Wild. That's amazing. Yeah, this is also one of the harder games to catch them all in, even though there are less. There are the weird NPCs that are like, "I'll give you my Mister Mime for like a level thirty <laughs> Nid Arena." It's like, yeah, I don't have that. So you know, it's a little bit. And also, I mean, there's stuff you have to trade for, right? So in 2022, to find someone who's willing to trade your Machoke back and forth simply for the pokedex entry it's mm-hmm. a hard ask yeah. these days uh this one is from diseased gecko which gym leader would make the best guest on into the aether oh my god i guess we're sticking to gen one right so the eight leaders there 
Yeah, I, th- I think we should keep it to Gen 1. Here, here's a thought. Do you have, like, if you have, like, an immediate answer, I'm down to do that. But there's only eight. So we could just go through and, and gut check if they would be a good guest or not. I love want. that. Yeah, that yeah. sounds great to me. All right. Let's start with Brock, then. The- <laughs> this question is putting into my brain the reality where, like, Brock DMs us on Twitter and is like, hey, I love the show. Can I talk about Chameleon Twist? <laughs> <laughs> I think Brock would be a good guest. I think that uh, Brock only plays fighting games, right? Yeah, I think he would come on specifically for esports. Um, yeah, he's a competitive esports, like Guilty Gear Strive, Street Fighter kind of guy. He loves Evo. Yes. Here's the thing about me, especially in college, I feel like the bro that is secretly weird or nerdy loves me. I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm a magnet for that this type is, of This bro. is true. Yeah, I can confirm this also. <laughs> I think that what I like about myself as a friend is I think I encourage people to be comfortable being weird and letting themselves feel like they can be themselves. Yeah. So a bro who has kind of like chosen a path in life to be a certain way is like, oh, wait, I can let loose. Hell yeah. And then like, we'll come on the show and talk about League of Legends with us. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think Brock would be a, a good guest or at least they would want to come on the show for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I I feel pretty good about having Brock on the show. Uh, up next is Misty. I think Misty would be a good guest. I think that, I think Misty uh, would be a, a great like honestly repeat guest. I feel like we would yes. keep inviting Misty back. Yeah, I think I think she would add to the energy of the show. Uh, I like when we have a guest on that can match and if not elevate the chaos. And I feel like Misty could do that for us. I completely agree. I completely agree with you. Where I start to bristle is definitely Lieutenant Surge. <laughs> <laughs> Who does in in his very limited dialogue speak openly about using Pokemon in a war against other people, which doesn't feel very good to me. <laughs> he also has based his gym around several cans of trash <laughs> that you have to look for a switch yeah. under. Yep. I also let's be real. If if we were, you know, the way I'm thinking about this is like if these people existed in our world, if we lived in the world of Pokemon, I don't uh-huh. think Lieutenant Surge knows or follows video games very well no. so i think he would he would be a little bit out of his element yeah combat only for him combat only yeah exactly and not so in no, a fun brock way to be clear no 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 in, exactly. a, in like a maybe actually scary like war crimes way <laughs> so a, a hard pass on lieutenant surge hard pass on lieutenant surge uh erica i feel like would be a fun fit i feel like i feel like she would be good yeah i think she's she comes off in the game kind of understated and soft spoken, but, but her like, team is her Victory team Bell, is Tangela, sick. and Vileplume. Yeah. yeah, I think I think she would be more introvert on the show, but she would be very confident. You know, she yes. would be like anything she said, it would be like, oh shit, that's like more insightful than anything we've ever uttered on this show. <laughs> so Erica, whereas Misty, I think is like our speed. Erica would be like a nice compliment to us. I think. Yeah, I totally agree. Koga is also fun. <laughs> Yeah, what's your read on this guy? I, I have no idea. <laughs> Dude, I, don't, I don't even know. I'm, I'm looking at his team right now. He's got coughing, muck, coughing again, and also yeah. wheezing. <laughs> I think anyone who has, I, I, I feel like in if if we were in the world of Pokemon, we might just be two coughing. So this might be a match made in heaven. Like he might just be our dad, I guess. I don't. Yeah, Koga also shows up again as the elite four in silver and gold. Like he. Yeah. He is one of the few gym leaders to show up again. He works his way up. So I would say I think Koga would be a cool guest, but like in name only. I don't know if we would really mesh, but I think mm. if we had him on the show, it would be like a big get. And people would be excited to like hear what he's up to because he's an actual ninja who wields poison. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's my answer for Koga. I love that. I love that. I, I always think back to uh, I, I feel like there are a couple like he kind of like put a pin in the board moments when podcasting like really went mainstream. Obviously, cereal was a big deal, right? Like everybody talks about cereal. I think one of the big deals also at the time, if you were a person who was very into podcasts at the time, I never listened to the show, but I do remember the buzz around Mark Maron having Barack Obama on was like huge. That yeah. was like that was like, you know, front page news on like every mainstream news website was that this comedian who records stuff in his garage got Obama to show up like the Secret Service had to stand outside his garage while they recorded. That would be us with Koga. <laughs> I totally agree. It's it's a big moment for us. How the episode is, it doesn't even really matter because we got could Koga. Be, could be bad. I don't yeah, know. It could be bad. The guy has two coughings. He's not great at what he does. <laughs> Let's be real. But you're going to say yes. Yeah, you're going to say yes to Coca. So. You're going to say yes when he has to come on the show. So we'll have him on. <laughs> uh, up next is Sabrina. Oh, my God. I would be very nervous. I, feel I, like. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. I'd be very intimidated to have Sabrina on the show. Yeah, I think that would I think that she would be a good guest. I think she would be confident. But I think that we would be so nervous that it would affect the episode. I think so, too. I, I don't think we would we would be able to, like, let our guard down in a way that created meaningful conversation. She is fully actually really psychic, to be clear. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not just that she has, like, Pokemon that are psychic types, but like she actually as a she person is a psychic. Yeah, is a psychic who can read minds her episode in the anime is her just like bending spoons like on her way to school i think totally (laughs) yeah look as a point of habit i try to avoid people who are really actually truly psychic in real life because i don't want people (laughs) up in my in my brain yeah i feel like though if i (laughs) would i be the villain in an x-men comic i just want to be clear (laughs) the x-men are sick i love the (laughs) x-men I feel like if I let my interest in tarot slip, there could be an opening for me and Sabrina to like have a cool Mm. talk, but it would be unrelated to video games. So, you know, in the spirit of like who would be a good guest for ITA, I think Sabrina, similar to Koga, cool get, but I don't think the episode would be be very good. Yeah. I I also think we should give ourselves some more credit. I think I think we're I think we're fun to record with. Uh, I think so, too. I, I feel like Sabrina. I feel like Sabrina would have a good time. Yeah, um, I think there's a little bit of a preconceived notion that we would have to get over in having a psychic gun who had really intimidated me as a child. Because this yeah, is where I always lost. Yeah, she's an Alakazam who is like unbeatable in red and blue. Yeah, you know what's wild about having an Alakazam? That means you have to have had a friend at one point in your life that you <laughs> traded with. <laughs> maybe that alludes to a softer side of Sabrina. You know? Yeah, maybe you're you're probably right. Yeah. Okay. So Sabrina. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Blaine. Ugh. My okay, if, I, I didn't yeah. even really think about that, but my first thought was disgust. I feel like Blaine has a podcast already, and it's just him like screaming about change, you know? Yeah, <laughs> his he's his, a right wing pundit, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he lives next to like an abandoned research facility yeah. on a remote island, and his whole his whole gym is about trivia. <laughs> so he has like kind of like like. Like a bit like Ben Shapiro energy. Yeah. yeah but like, I don't if, like he, it. if Ben Shapiro was like a mentalist in the early 2000s, yeah. like at a Fox TV show. No, thank you. No, yeah. thank you to Blaine. Get bottom back. of the list. Yeah. Bottom yeah. of the list. Uh, actively saying no to Blaine. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that uh, my favorite thing about Blaine as a kid was that I did not understand his sprite like literally at all. And I thought that he was an alien with like huge eyes. Yeah. <laughs> 
because <laughs> he's wearing these big glasses and then also has a beard. But it actually just looks like he's like a very classically drawn like Area 51 Roswell alien who yeah. is wearing sunglasses, uh, which that would be I great. always really appreciated. Yeah. yeah. If that was the case, absolutely. Yes. You know, if it if it was like that uh, Simon Pegnick Frost movie, Paul, like absolutely, especially with the accent. Um, OK, Giovanni sure is the last one. How do you feel about this? I think that we would have an incredible time, especially if this is post redeemed Giovanni. I mean, the, I, I feel like and I don't want to generalize, but I think the fact that we're both from northern New Jersey gives us an yeah. instant in. Yeah. And I think that we would have like it would be intimidating. It would be similar to Koga. But I think that like we would be amazed at how much fun we had. I, I think yeah. Giovanni would be a surprise hit. I look. OK. <laughs> He is a straight up villain, though. So there is like, how much are we willing to forgive here? I know that's that's kind of what I'm bumping up against. I see a world in which he sure does send over to both of our houses somehow, you know, given where we both live, sends us over the exact same like charcuterie board with like a bunch of gabagool and stuff. And we're all just like (laughs) drinking wine and like eating charcuterie with our hands, you know? And just like laughing hysterically. That sounds great. But then the night would end like we would have a great time. We would be making our way out. And then he's like, but if you two ever disappoint me, like there would yeah. be like a, a lingering threat that like, right. We would all laugh off. But it's like, OK, we're we're involved now. <laughs> or or he doesn't even know that like this is a podcast and that it's all being recorded. Right. He is, just thought we like, wanted to meet him. Like he didn't, yeah. even, he didn't even listen to the to the henchman who told him what was happening. Yeah. yeah didn't didn't know that it was a recorded <laughs> section. And uh, that's where it becomes trouble for us. I have a question for you. Do you want to do the Elite Four also while we're here? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. So there's Lorelai first. Yeah. Who is the ice type, uh, the ice and water type? I think I, I think Elite Four in general have a lot of pros to them already because like they are celebrities in this world. So there's like the, the get <laughs> of them already. Right. Uh-huh. They're hard workers. They're ambitious. Yeah. What I remember of Lorelai, she's like kind of nerdy. So I feel like we would we would be able to have her on. Not that you have to be like, you know, a nerd or whatever. I hate that. Yeah. Like, gatekeeping stuff. She has a favorite game. Yes, exactly right. And if you have a favorite game, you can be on this podcast. That's pretty much how it works. <laughs> that's that's all we ask. Yeah. So Lorelai, I think would be good. Next up, who we got? It's Bruno. Bruno is next. What do you the think rock about and Bruno? fighting type? Yeah. Bruno's an immediate yes. <laughs> I would love nothing more like... than talk about video games with Bruno. I mean, everything you said about Brock, but like just, times ten. Yeah. yeah, times ten. Absolutely. It's like, what if Brock like was even more of a himbo? Exactly. I just, I just feel like Bruno would show up and be like, I love Bubble Bobble. It's like, <laughs> all right, man. Can we make that work for an hour? Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes to Bruno. <laughs> Agatha. Oh man. She's like the ghost uh, member, right? Yeah, she's she's poison and ghost type. She's like in a graveyard when you fight her. I mean, yeah. I feel like the Elite Four, like I would love to interview any of them. So like, yes, yes to Agatha. True. Yeah, yeah. And then Lance. Lance is also an obvious yes. Yeah. So Elite Four, like across the board. Yeah. Come on anytime. Uh, and then and then Blue or the Monsanto in your case, your rival. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is interesting. See, I feel like we are this to each other. So like we've already done it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's why this podcast works. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the reviews have said. It's like Steven is really the blue. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, but I think I think uh, if they were a separate individual, I would say there is work to be done. But eventually, yes. Who is who? I think I. OK, 
this might come across mate. I can't tell if this is an insult or arrogant of me to say, but I think that I am the rival who has music play when they leave the room just because <laughs> that is it's enough theater kid energy that I think that if I was in the world of Pokemon, I would at least ask for a theme song when I left. A That's place. interesting. I do feel like of the two of us, you are more likely to say smell you later in casual <laughs> conversation. I don't think I'm mean or on a quest for power quite as much as the rival here. But I think if we had to, if we were casting this and one of us had to be the other, yeah. I think I would, I would have to be smell you later. Yeah. I, I, I definitely do relate to the Ash Ketchum red, like Goku adjacent energy of just like head empty, just progress. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess I, I fall into the, the Vegeta screaming <laughs> at the top of my lungs about not being Super Saiyan yet. So it all adds up. Thank you for that question, Disease Gecko. That was great. It was a lot of fun. That sure was a whole bunch. Uh, this next one is from Albatross Soup, who asks, When I played these games as a kid, my imagination filled in a lot of the world and made it feel much bigger and richer than it was. Are you able to feel this way playing in 2022, especially after playing more modern Pokemon games? Yeah, this is something that, that I didn't want to touch on too much before, but we kind of did in, in terms of like, I, I remember distinctly, you know, being a kid and, and seeing the cards in the show as kind of like a continuation of what I was filling in. Yeah, it's like the dream. It's like the dream of like, uh, honestly, uh, what I would have given to have like a fully featured anime of so many of the games I loved as kids that like actually did fill in the blanks. A lot of what we talk about with um, Final Fantasy VII Remake specifically is the way that that was able to fill in the blanks of like the very kind of uh, what what do we always say? It's like it's like uh, 3D technology going through puberty at that point. It's like pretty (laughs) early on. It feels to me like we got so lucky that this happened at all you know that that we actually got to see what this stuff would have looked like you know fully rendered yeah absolutely you want to move on to the next question sure uh the next one is from trash baker which quality of life upgrade do you most miss from the newer games and playing these easy answer for me running shoes no question oh my god yeah running shoes um seeing the experience bar honestly one one of my favorite things about sword and shield is just like them making every poke center have the marketplace and also have the ability to like relearn moves change the name anytime like that was so nice not having that in any other game is like kind of always like <laughs> disappointing yeah cool moving on this is from uh urjart one would love to hear opinions on the og box art and the vibe of the sugimori aesthetic of pokemon compared to today yeah it's actually really interesting that this is a question that's coming up now because there is a fan game that is being worked on right now that is like an open world pokemon game that is specifically trying to be one to one with the Sugimori art. Um, I would highly recommend like if you don't know what we're talking about, like go look it up because it's really, really fucking beautiful. Um, it's like this kind of like watercolory anime energy. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but, you know, it's not like the energy of what we have in Pokemon these days. You know, I, I feel like especially when the, the anime started to exist in particular, that really kind of like changed the course of what the art direction for Pokemon was going to be going forward. Um, and that that original vibe that that felt honestly just like very like homey. It felt like very like it's very warm. warm. Yeah. 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 Um, just kind of went away. I, I love the watercolors just like for their aesthetic value. I think that like I also like kind of how like blocky everything is like yeah, there's a lot of like distinct shapes. I think there's a lot of really good designs like, you know, there, there are cool Pokemon designs as the series has progressed. Yeah. Um, like every generation has like good and bad designs. I think this idea that a lot of people our age have that like 
everything after Gen 1 is bad is is not true. Some of my favorite Pokemon as Pokemon are from later generations, especially Gen 2 and Loudra Gen 3, you know, credit credits too. But yeah, I think, I think the design of the illustration changed to be more animation friendly. I think it goes back to like this becoming a multimedia brand and there has to be like visual cohesion between the games and the cards and the show. The irony though, is that a lot of the art on the Pokemon cards is always super out there, but that's kind of why I love the cards as a kid is like, you know, like the Porygon card, just like a weird unfinished, like 3d render of a Porygon <laughs> or like um, some really nice illustrations of like a Meowth by a tree. You know, it's, it's something mm. I, the reason I never got into Yu-Gi-Oh is like all the cards felt so static to me. It was like catapult turtle and it was just like a, uh, in like a flat color with a character on top. And, you know, there's there's yeah. some cool art there, too. But like it all felt kind of streamlined in a way. And and that's kind of how Pokemon has become. But I do think that there are moments where you get that like original intention, at least in the cars. I don't know how the cards look today, but back in the 90s, they looked really cool. Mm. Let's uh, let's move on to the next one. Cool. If you're good. Yeah. Uh, this one is from Mr. The Human. Difficult question, but do you remember your original team for Gen 1? And if not, what is your dream team for Gen 1? I definitely don't remember my original team, but I, I could tell you my my dream team. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I, honestly, I think that like early, early playthroughs of the game, I probably just had like the three legendary birds and like oh, so my starter, the starter, and maybe and Mewtwo. Mewtwo. Yeah. yeah, that was like the, the sort of like generic team. But like, Later on, when I had more of a unique flavor, I would say that like Venusaur, Gengar, Dragonite, Jolteon, honestly Lapras, and then probably those five are big for me. I also really love Skarmory, but they're not Gen 1. So I'll throw in, uh, I'll throw in Articuno. Why not? That's That's my favorite legendary bird. Yeah, we we have we have a little bit of overlap there. Uh, It'd be for me, it'd be Dragonite, Gengar, Raichu, Vaporeon. Hitmonchan and Vileplume. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hitmonchan is cool. I do like that sort of pseudo gym that's the fighting type it's right so next cool. to Sabrina's It says gym. gym on it, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and but then, they just and you think you, you think you're going to walk in and fight a gym leader. It's like, oh, no, this is just actually a gym where people are working out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's really the fun. joke. I, well, yeah. it's I just got it now at age, <laughs> age 32. It is kind of a cruel joke, though, that you get a fighting type next to the psychic type gym. But did you did you always go Hitmonchan over Hitmonlee? No, I, I could never decide between the two of them. They're both cool. I like them both a lot. Yeah. Himanshan, I think, is like, I like the ability to get different elemental punches, but I yeah. love high jump kick just for the tenacity of it, because yeah. you can often miss, and it says, like, Himanlee just went flying <laughs> <laughs> and, like, <laughs> fell, which I always, that's, like, the most, like, visceral detail you get in the matches. Yeah. It's like, Himanlee whiffed it. <laughs> the that's dude so went funny. flying. Yeah. Moving on. This one is from uh, Jax Yaks. How much did you exploit Missigno? I think we talked about this uh, a bunch already, but I did a lot. I mean, especially after I had beaten the game for the first time. And I feel like that exploit specifically had kind of like made the rounds to the point where like everyone just kind of knew how to do it inherently. I was using it all the time on all future playthroughs. Yeah. At a certain point, like in late high school, excuse me, late middle school, early high school, whenever I played, I would actually play through Pokemon Stadium because there's actually a mode in Pokemon Stadium on N64 where you could just play Pokemon Red on your TV, which Whoa, is so really? yeah, you could you they're on the controller. There was that like adapter where you plugged in the game cartridge and that would pull your team from the game and you could fight in 3D. So like there were different like cups, you know, where you would have your team. And that was also like a dream to see them come to life in that way. But there was also just a tower where you could just play Pokemon Red via the N64 that's on so your TV, cool. which was so I, I did that a lot. That was like my primary way of playing it for a while. 
was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. That's so cool. Yeah, Pokemon Stadium was sick. And the mini games, Run Retire to Run, what else do you want? Yeah. All right. Wow. Let's move <laughs> on to the next one. That was fun. Uh, this one is from Brad Spemblove. Uh, what was your favorite or least favorite Gen 1 sprite? Oh. I can tell you my favorite right off yeah, the bat. Yeah, go for it. My favorite is definitely Executor. Really? Executor's sprite from Gen 1 is so fucking scary. I gotta it look is, it up again. It is so horrifying uh, and like doesn't look at all like what I think of when I think of that Pokemon. I, f- I find that that's a, like there are a couple here and there. I feel like Sandslash is another good example of one like that where it's like it's for some reason more menacing than it actually is. I love that. I do love that Pidgey just looks like, oh, yeah, look at this like weird lighting, too. They're yeah. lit They're lit from below, yeah. which makes it look like a, an experiment gone wrong. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I love that the Gen 1 sprite for Pidgey is like just a bird. That there's no like, <laughs> yeah, there's no personality to it. It's just like a bird you would see in your real life. <laughs> so Pidgey's up there for me. I also I do really like the um, Ivysaur uh standing on its hind legs ivysaur is cool yeah yeah my least favorite is machop because it looks like his body is like flat clay and they put these three lines to distinguish his rib cage it looks like someone ran him over he looks like kind of <laughs> like a gumby character yeah so yeah machop is, is is bad and also uh geodude i can never figure out like what he was yeah the original the original geodude sprite is very funny I remember wanting Pokemon Yellow just because the Geodude sprite was better. It wasn't like this weird <laughs> meatball with arms. Uh, I'm just I'm looking over them right now because I, I don't I don't really remember all of them well enough to to pick a least favorite. Not that I feel the need to pick a least favorite, but I want to see if anything jumps out to me. You know? Yeah, I want to I want to give them another look too, even though I had answers. Okay, there are some like real winners here. Actually, now that I'm looking through this, I just. It's hard to talk about this because this is, uh, you know, we're this is a podcast, this is an audio medium. But I do want to just point out a couple right off the bat. Ditto, for example, is waving hello. It's very cute. It's very nice, very welcoming. I like that Ammonite somehow has, you know, they they have like a bunch of uh, a bunch of tendrils. They have like a bunch of um, they have a bunch of limbs, and they sure do seem to like have their hands on their hips. Which is very nice. I like that experience. I, li- I like that Ammonite is like kind of a little sassy. And then Amistar also is kind of doing like a like a disco pose. Like Amistar is a star in this case. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. I like Snorlax a lot leaning on his side. Great Yeah, pose. Snorlax is really good. Tentacruel with like the the tentacles crossed like it's like crossing its arms like it's judging us it's it's very fun most of these are pretty good honestly yeah i'm actually really surprised now looking at these oh golduck i'm so sorry (laughs) i spoke too soon oh no golduck oh no (laughs) i always thought hypno is not a bad sprite but i always thought he had a big mustache and was shocked later (laughs) to learn that it was like a shakespearean collar of some kind. yeah yeah oh man really wild Chansey looks great. Yeah, Ch- Chansey looks awesome. Chansey's Mr. Really Mime is, is horrific. Like, he has a nose here. Yeah. Ugh. I do like Kingler's, uh, like the motion in Kingler's sprite also. Yeah. Anyway, th- I'm sure this is exhilarating to listen to. Um, <laughs> I don't have a least favorite, um, but I do have a bunch of favorites. Actually, I do have a least favorite now I'm looking at it, and it's definitely Ekans. What happened there? <laughs> that is Donald Duck's face attached to a snake. Absolutely. 100, 100%. Wiggly Tough is also kind of alarming if you, if you <laughs> take a closer look. Oh, weird. Weird. Anyway, that's that's it. That's what we got for that one. Slowpoke does look like he got run over also. <laughs> yeah, there are a few that just look like roadkill. To be clear. Yeah, that's very funny. Uh, man, they 
they changed the art of these so much. They did, yeah. Wow. Mo- for the most for the most part for the better, but there are some there, there's a lot of character in most of these. Even if yeah. they're like less fun to look at, they're they're all very unique. Yeah, totally. All right, we have one last question. This is from uh, Rylan the Giant. What are your thoughts on difficulty compared to later Pokemon games? Has the franchise gotten more child-friendly or have the games gotten easier? Uh, is it an accessibility thing? That's a great question, and it's a complex one that I, I don't feel comfortable answering like objectively, but I can offer, as, as someone who was a kid when Red and Blue came out and was like young for the first few generations and has continued playing them, I think I can at least speak to my experience. So take that for what you will. I would say red and blue are really hard in kind of the Super Mario Kart way where like there's a little bit of like they, mm. you know, they got so much right. It's not quite like, you know, it's not it's not uh, by accident, but it is much more unforgiving. It's much more um, asking more of you. And like that clearly wasn't an issue for either of us as a kid. So like I do think we can yeah. give kids more credit overall. I do think that somewhere between like X and Y, the 3DS ones overall felt like a little bit too easy in my opinion x and y especially i remember x really and y. i was actually gonna say x and y of those ones was probably the most like back to basics like felt the most like the originals to me again sun and moon was where it was like you had that whole first island that was like five hours of the game that was like have you ever played pokemon before yeah <laughs> but like yeah, yeah if you could answer yes over and over again it's like i don't really care <laughs> i'm gonna keep giving you the tutorial I just remember X and Y, you had that whole group of friends who were like pumps when you beat them. They're like, yes, yes, I can't wait to lose. They like would yeah. stand in line and like wait for you to, to destroy their teams. But I would say like Sword and Shield, I found to be a nice balance where like it was trusting the player to figure out like how to compose a good team yeah. um, while not being like overtly challenging. I think that like there are a couple that are explicitly hard. Black and White is a very hard Pokemon game. Gen yep. 3, also pretty difficult. Um, and I enjoy that as an adult. I enjoy like I think that Pokemon is such a huge franchise. A lot of people want it to be a lot of different things. Mm. So I think I think that they've always been kid friendly in the sense that like I think you can give any of these to a kid and like they're going to have a fun time. Yeah, I think it's a matter of like trusting the player. And I think that like Pokemon Legends is a great example of a game that is like definitely more daunting, but it's daunting in a Breath of the Wild or even Minecraft way where there are rules of the world being communicated to the player and you can navigate those once you are listening to the game and it's going to reward you for exploring and doing the thing that you want to do. So I think that like there's definitely an approachability, even though RCS is like asking more of you in combat, it is more welcoming in the sense that like you were you were not asked to do things outside of your comfort zone. You're going to grow as you play the game in the way that you want to. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. I, I totally agree with you. I um I think that these games have definitely varied in difficulty, you know, from time to time. But for the most part, they're that's kind of the thing that we were kind of alluding to in the first bit, which is like these games haven't really evolved that that much. And because of that, they've maintained this this realm of always being approachable for a new generation of Pokemon players. Like they want every new Pokemon generation to be possibly somebody's first Pokemon game. And that's, that's a smart move. Um, And that's, it's a very different way of going after a thing that a lot of other companies try and do, right? Like call of duty, for example, 
they come out with a new one of those every year and they try and change some stuff here and there. But like for the most part, they just try and paint by numbers because they know what people like and they know if they change it too much, people will revolt. Dragon Quest, kind of a similar thing. Like Dragon Quest comes out over and over again and they'll change like a couple things that are pretty dramatic about it. But they, in the case of Square Enix and Yuji Horii and that team, like they know so specifically what makes a Dragon Quest game a Dragon Quest game that like that core thing that you're looking for from those games will never change. But some of the story and mechanic structure around that will change. But then you have something like Final Fantasy, which is trying to do something new every single time for better, or for worse. Pokemon is in this weird spot where it's not doing it for Call of Duty reasons. You know, it's not continuing to be the same thing over and over again for Call of Duty reasons. It's not continuing to be the same thing over and over again for Dragon Quest reasons. It's just kind of stagnant specifically because that's going to be the thing that will give them the biggest return on investment for the IP. Like it sucks to have such a cynical take on it, like such a cynical, like capitalist view on this. But like that, that's the reason these games don't change very much, which is it's fine by me, honestly, if it means that more people can jump into this franchise and have the same experience that I did in 1997, 98, when that game came out and I got to play it and, you know, met up with all the kids on my street and like made friends like that's awesome. That's a really cool experience. Totally. And I and I hope that more people have that. And I really appreciate that we're now in a space where Game Freak and the Pokemon company are starting to take more chances and saying like, yes, there's always going to be that new generation of Pokemon games. But now they've set up these external teams which are starting to take new ideas and run with them and like experiment more and make things like Arceus and make things like, you know, the remakes of Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, like that kind of thing. Like you're getting kind of every flavor of what you would want from Pokemon from a bunch of different teams now. I think the biggest problem for me as a fan for the longest time was like the only thing that Game Freak put out were the mainline games and they weren't taking any chances or doing anything interesting at all. And we're now in a space where there's a larger possibility space for what we can get from these games. Totally. And there's a reason, too, why Pokemon Legends came out in January and was kind of marketed as a spinoff, because like that was the biggest chance they took. And that was kind of like, let's like take a calculated risk here. You know, this is not going to be the end of the year mainline game. It's going to be like a weird January experiment. (laughs) Um, And it did extremely well. I mean, it sold really well. People generally liked it, at least like conceptually, like the the skeleton of that game is really strong. So, you know, you have a potential blueprint for the next X years from that game, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So overall, I would say like, you know, difficulty varies. We've compared Pokemon before to Dragon Quest in in kind of a way that like showcases how hard it is to pull off what Dragon Quest does. You know, that delicate balance of changing it just a little bit or like, you know, what is the through line? And I think Pokemon is slowly figuring that out as they're able to experiment more. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that having been said, uh, they'll continue to make the same game forever and I'll keep playing it. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Hey, sorry to those of you out there who uh, get upset about that, but I'll be part of the problem. I'm I'm fine with it. I like these games. I'll keep playing them. I'm excited about this next thing. Yeah. Scarlet and Violet. Sign me up. Purple's my favorite color. I'm in. I'm really excited for that. I'm very curious about what it's going to be like. I love Foy Coco. That's my dream team. Just Loudred and Foy Coco. Just Foy Coco and Loudred. Two Pokemon with their mouths wide open screaming. (laughs) I I retcon what I said before. That's my gym type. Just screaming Pokemon. yeah it's like it's like when you go see my bloody valentine in concert and they're like you're not allowed to come in if you don't have earplugs yeah That'll it's be a, the same thing it's a shoegaze gym and all the pokemon are sort of like looking down and being like every time i sleep yeah i feel like you and i are going after the same energy in different ways <laughs> yeah exactly that's why we're rivals yeah uh hey i feel like that's it wow we did it i was so prepared for even more but we did it all yeah Look i don't i don't have anything else i want to bring up i think <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's print the certificate, put it on our wall. <laughs> how much how much would you be willing to pay for the I caught them all certificate? Because that feels like something you would actually love to have for so many reasons. I would pay upwards of uh ten dollars. <laughs> Not including shipping. So 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 very little. I would pay um, very little. Yeah. I yeah. honestly um would I like to have one? Yes. Would I want to hang it up in my apartment? I don't know. Yeah, I I can't imagine it's it's gonna be like like a paper that has been visibly folded into four with like the <laughs> yes. sort of missing ink quality over. Uh-huh. It. So yeah, I, bleached I, by the sun. Yeah, part of me would bleach by the sun. And now, if it was like an old map texture, if someone made like a like this is like you know fountain pen on tastefully old paper, that I would pay more for. I'm looking at I'm looking it up. Yeah, you know what. Put my money where my mouth is. Uh, I said that I would pay upwards of $10. I sure did just find one for five. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you did do it, so it's not a lie. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm glad I'm glad this worked out. Look at this. Here it goes. All right. Purchased. This is the first and last episode where we buy something on air in real time. <laughs> it's exciting for it's the so, audio medium. So dumb. All yeah. right. Hey, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Into the Aether about Pokemon Red and Blue, the first generation. Soon we'll talk about the next generation. Yeah, I this is so fun to do. I um I, I'm glad we gave this to ourselves before the DS episode. And it's kind of again, you said this at the top, but I feel like it's always like, oh, we'll give this like we'll give ourselves like a short, quick, and easy one and still find a lot of enthusiasm for the game itself. So yeah. it was really cool to go back and to really, you know, in doing the show and kind of having a, a little bit more like vocabulary for my feelings on games, it was cool to go back to a game that meant so much to me and explore why and how it yeah. is now. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really fun. I honestly I was expecting to kind of like dip in and out and like not really play the game that much, but it really sucked me back in in a way I wasn't expecting. And how much of that is nostalgia versus how much of that is like, hey, the game is just good. You know, that's it's hard to say pretty subjective, but uh, I sure did have a good time. I can only speak to my experience and that experience was sick. Uh, (laughs) So thank you all so much for uh, sending in those questions as well. Yes. Um, Thank we you. have a website that you can go visit. It's into the cast dot online that has links to everything, including Twitter and Instagram. Um, I almost said Facebook. Ew. Uh, and ah! YouTube <laughs> and Twitch, um, which we have a bunch of stuff on. There's also a link to the discord, which you can join and uh, chat with like minded people about video games and even more than just video games. And on top of all of that, we also have a Patreon. As we always say, we will continue to make bonus episodes like this one as long as one single person and backs the patreon um so thank you so much to everybody who's doing that you can find that uh, also at into the cast.online or patreon.com slash into the cast and thank you also so much to everybody who's writing apple podcast reviews specifically those of you who are letting us know how many breadsticks you could eat in one sitting at olive garden i've really appreciated the influx of those uh that's brought me a lot of joy anything else steven no, that's it. I mean, I'm really looking forward to our upcoming season premiere. We also do bonus episodes specifically for patrons. I imagine we'll get back to that routine after the season begins, kind of like reset a little bit. But yeah, that's that's basically it for now. Yeah, cool. Well, all that having been said, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm uh, EXEV. You could find me at nighttime in the power plant in Kanto, but you have to open your game, name yourself Steven, delete it right away. Actually throw the game out and then check your email and you'll know what to do from there. That's sick. I'm also at Stephen Hill. You can find me at Stephen Hill. <laughs> 
Thank you so much to AJ Filari for editing this episode. I hired them to edit your podcast as well. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. Smell you later. Gotta catch the ones you like. Garbage. The online.